For the amount of money that I've spent in hotels in the last like yeah. couple months, yeah. I could be like, that would be like four months rent, it feels like. Right. I don't know, because I haven't really done the math. <laughs> but that's what it feels like. She's going to crunch the numbs and see. I am going to crunch the numbs. I'm going to crunch some numbs. <laughs> and I'm going to see. <laughs> Shut it. Busy, this is the first time we're doing the podcast together two weeks in a row, I feel like. It could always be like this. <laughs> we could, it could be like this forever. How? What would we do? I would, ha- I would have to move back here. You'd have to move do back you feel here. Like, do you feel like if I did move back here, it would be, oh my God. What? A Japan Airlines plane burst into flames while landing in Tokyo. Oh, God. All 367 passengers and 12 crew members evacuated the jet. Thank God. Oh, good. Okay. Jesus. That is terrifying, though. That doesn't happen quite often. No. Not on wood. Oh, because there was a Coast Guard plane that collided with it before it landed. Oh, God. So... That's not great. Oh, I went to the Rose Parade yesterday. I know. How was that? I loved it. The only thing I didn't like was the Air Force flyover. Nope. Don't like it. Just I don't be, like it. It's for a couple reasons. For one, it's very expensive. And you know that I'm cheap and I'm like, that money could be used for so much better things than flying over the parade. But also, I always feel like whenever they're doing anything flying planes for like the spectacle of it. Mm -hmm. Dangerous. There's a chance that something bad could happen. I mean, you always see those like tragedy at an air show. Exactly. So I wasn't into that, but I loved the parade. My friend Emily Volman gave me the tickets because I never would have gotten it together to get tickets to the Rose Parade. We were practically in the parade. It was so fun. I'm so glad I got to do it. I saw your Instagram stories. It looked amazing. (laughs) And my favorite part was the... um, people scooping up the horse shit before the next marching band <laughs> came a along. very important job. It was an important job. And they, it was high stakes because you only have a limited amount of time. There was a marching band coming from Hawaii, mm-hmm. like coming down the street. They were here from Hawaii, which is amazing. And um, the horses before them had done multiple shits. And uh, those people really, they worked hard. They didn't get them all, but... Mm-hmm. The marching band successfully avoided the like two shits that they left behind and then they ran back in and and got it after. And I was like, what a job. What a job. Everyone was everyone was really like vibing with them and and cheering them on. It was a ticking clock. It had everything. It had tension. It had danger. (sighs) Wow. (laughs) What did you do on your New Year's Day? Well, we had New Year's Eve together. We didn't even we, talk about that. We didn't I mean, even come talk on. About that. Come on. Come on. I know people saw the photo. Yes, we saw each other on New Year's Eve. Which was so nice. I knew you were going to be there. By the way, we didn't discuss it beforehand, but I like knew you were going to be there from Katie. Yeah. Because we were at our friend Katie and Mark's house, guys. And it <laughs> and was then delightful. I figured you were going to be there. And like usual in those things, you I never w- want to mention it because God forbid. No, no. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think. Katie or Mark would care that we're talking about their wonderful New Year's Eve um, get together. No, I was going to say, sometimes when I see you at a thing like that, like where we didn't go together, Mm -hmm. like 
I always just want to let you mix and mingle, even though I really want to talk to you, but I feel like I get to talk to you all the time. I know. I feel the same way. Yeah. So I just like want to let you catch up with people that you haven't seen in a long time. Which is a lot of people because I don't live here, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So I just... We didn't really like spend the whole night together, but it always is very comforting and like a nice feeling to like look across the room and see you there in, I in person. I feel the same. <laughs> and then we got a picture together at midnight and then I had to get out of there because like, <sighs> yeah, I, I don't want to say, but someone in my party had like half a drink too much and started like fist bumping teenagers. And I was like, it's time to go. I know who that was. <laughs> Because <laughs> I got a fist bump <laughs> and I'm not a teenager, but I did get a fist bump. <laughs> I'm like, as far as um, un, uh, unruly behavior on New Year's Eve, fist bumping everyone isn't that bad. But, no, you know, no. you don't want to get a reputation as a fist bumper. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm asking Mark if he goes to Erewhon if he'll get me a turkey bacon collard green wrap sandwich. <laughs> I'll give you the other half half if you want. Oh my gosh. How much will that sandwich that cost? Is, that sandwich is approximately $45. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is the best. It is like one of my favorites. I just fucking love Erewhon. I had this conversation with Simran over the holiday because she was like, I don't go to Erewhon. It's a sense of p- source of pride. And I was like, Simran, what are you talking about? <laughs> don't be insane. It's oh. the best produce in the world. Yes, right. it's a million dollars. But when you're in like a crunch, Erewhon is incredible. Plus they have like the best things. I'm like, look, you don't wait in line for the Haley Bieber smoothie. You right. know what I mean? We're not that. Right. That's not what we're doing. Right. But the other stuff, the prepared foods, ugh. A real delicious situation. And by the way, those sandwiches, those takeaway, like prepared sandwiches, they're not that much. Yeah. They're like 12 bucks or whatever. Here is Which is, for a sandwich, not unreasonable. I I don't think. Two things. The first thing is that I kind of admire Erewhon for just being like, listen, yeah, it's expensive. Like the Haley Bieber's. Because people are paying for it. And I kind of just admire that they're like doing their thing, knowing their worth. Like we are always telling. We love a queen who knows her worth. Exactly. So I love that. The second thing is I've never been in an Erewhon, nor have I purchased anything from an Erewhon. But you're more of a recent transplant to Los Angeles. I do think... I do think, I don't know, it's the greatest grocery store in the world. I mean... If you're I, a person who loves fresh yes. fruits and vegetables yeah. and you like are in between a farmer's market yeah. vibe, yeah. Erewhon is like the greatest place on earth. Yeah. And, and really that prepared food section, all of the food to go is like, so it's like next level. It's so... That's so, so good. Good. I think on the one hand, in five years, which is the amount of time I've been here in LA, I could have gone into an Erewhon one also, time. Also, you have to remember that five years, but like four of them were the pandemic. Exactly. <laughs> and also, I would like to point out that one of my many major privileges is that yes, I have a husband groceries. who's a grocer. And so I hardly ever go into any grocery store at all. Truly. Unless it's like some specialty item that I need. And even at that. I know, but like for a person who doesn't eat gluten or whatever, like Erewhon has, that's that 
this this sandwich that I love. Yeah. It's like wrapped in a collar. It has like the, a collared green wrap that's mm. like really good and not like sometimes when you get those sandwiches that are like lettuce wrapped or wrapped in collared greens, they're like, it's like gross. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of course. That's not this. This is so good. Wait, I feel like my headphone is echoey. Yours is, I think it's because just FYI, if this sounds weird in any way, it's because we're in the same room. No, 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 no. That was better. Whatever better? you just did. Okay. okay. Now it's back. I better. mean, back. Now it sounds normal. All right. Um. So yeah, I thought New Year's was really nice. It was so nice. I have to say, I feel like I had such, I like really limped to the end of the year, <laughs> like majorly, yeah. you know, yeah. and then I got there to New Year's and I had the best night, like seeing friends and yeah. talking to people and honestly, just really hanging out with like Cricket and Emily for a lot yeah. of the night. Like, yeah. mo- like that was like most of the night was like... Emily was wearing sparkles, which was so not her, well, but she okay. was so into it. Okay. So do you know what happened with the sparkles? Did I you, mean, you heard the story? She told me a little bit, but tell our friends. So I had brought you guys... So I had brought this Doan dress that I have that is like, to be honest, it does look like a dress you'd wear to a funeral. It's like... <laughs> It's like black lace. It's gorgeous. Not it's inappropriate. A, no, it's a gorgeous dress. But I was texting with Katie, hostess with the mostest. And I was, <laughs> we were discussing wardrobe for the party. Sure. And I told her what dress I had. And she was like, absolutely not busy. No. <laughs> She's like, you can't busy, please. Like, we, I can't have you go into the next, like, into this next year dressing. Like, you're in mourning still. In you're funereal, not in yes, mourning. I need yes. you in sparkles. I need you sparkly. Get it together. (laughs) And I was like, I really thought about it. And I was like, I think she's right. I think I've been like, I think even my picking that dress as like what I was going to wear for New Year's felt like I was like hedging. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, I have seen all of the memes and things that are people that are like, I, no one's saying 2024 is my year. We've learned. And like, on the one hand, I get it. And on the other hand, I just started to feel, oh my God, I just sounded like Kate. Oh, (laughs) I just like channeled her. Yeah. On the other hand, that's like exactly what she would say. Piss. Um, I felt like, why the fuck not go into every new year, every new situation with a level of optimism for what it could be and what you want it to be and what you're hoping for it to be? And I know it feels like a small thing, but the way that you dress really projects things. And I just felt like I really vibed on what Katie was saying. So, Last minute, BB and I went on like a quest for sparkles, but we got sort of waylaid because, you know, kids are here in LA and Birdie wanted to hang out with me and Biebs and Birdie's idea of shopping is going to the Grove, right? which is not where I'm going to find an outfit. The sparkles for you. It's just not for me. Yeah. It's a mall that like, it's just also malls are weird now, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, there was nothing there and it basically was like our whole day that we had to shop was there. But then later that afternoon, Emily and I went to like a vintage place and we picked up some like random items that we were, neither one of us ended up wearing (laughs) to the party. And then, um, and then it was New Year's Eve day and I went and worked out and then I went to get a facial 
So I thought, start the year with just a fresh glow. Just start it right. And I was, I was like, at least my skin will sparkle. If I, <laughs> if I have no spark, if I'm just like a funeral. Um, but while I was driving to the facial, I saw this like store that had popped up on Melrose. And it was just like, literally like cheap sparkles yeah, in the window. No name, it was no, just yeah. sparkles. Yeah. And so after my facial, I like went over there and tried on a ton of things. I mean, and it was like, I'm like, this is a wild journey. Like for whoever <laughs> wears these clothing, these clothing options in real life. Wow. Um, but there was this like red sparkly jumpsuit thing. Yeah. Like a, like a. What was a strapless? A strapless jumpsuit. Strapless jumpsuit. With like flared bottoms. Flared bottoms. And it was like red sparkly pants. And I was like, I didn't love the top of it, but I was like, you know what would be cute if I, if I decide to do this, I could like wear like an oversized concert tee or I could wear my new polar bear sweatshirt from the grate that I've been wearing literally every day. It's my favorite (laughs) sweatshirt. I feel like it's a part of my identity now. I feel like I'll look back on the end of this year and I'll be like, polar bear sweatshirt. <laughs> um, but anyway, I I just bought it. It wasn't, they weren't expensive. It was like a cheapy place, you know? Yeah. So I bought the, those sparkles. And then I met Emily for lunch and we had a delicious vegan lunch together for New Year's Eve day. And then I was going to pick up Birdie and B. And their friend Josie, like these are girls that see each other basically like once a year now, yeah. but like they had a little reunion. Aww. So I was going to pick them up at the Grove and drive B back to her house and drop Josie off, whatever. And on the way, I saw a dress in the window at Reformation and I was like, ooh, I want to wear that. And it was like light pink velvety and it yeah. had sparkles on it. And I felt like, and it felt like a little bit like 20s vibe. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I can fuck with that dress. And so I pulled over and I got that dress. And I was thinking I would return the sparkle jumpsuit. And then Emily Beebe did not like her options for clothing. <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't a fan either. You I'm going to say, I agreed. I didn't think that she had the look happening for, for what we were trying to put forth. Yeah. And I made her try on the jumpsuit. And she was like, this is insane. It looks like a costume. I feel like I'm wearing a costume. And I was like... I feel like if you put on a black sweater over it, it's going to look real good. Which is what she did. She did it. And she put like a chore jacket over it. She loved it. Which is very her. It was a good look. I I thought it was super cute. And I think like every outfit is a costume, really. That's what my point is. It goes back to like what you were saying about clothes being like a projection. Like, you know, people tell you fake it till you make it. Clothing, I guess, is a part of that. And also what you were saying about like picking a black dress being like the wrong thing, almost like you were casting, you know, like like forecasting the yeah. way that the night was going to go. Yes. And so, and that's like the opposite of fake it till you make it. What is that? That's like, you know, 
like a self-fulfilling. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy, perhaps. It could be. I just feel like I'm like, yeah, it makes more sense to fake it till you make it every day for the rest of your life, even if you never make it. Yeah. I remember in the beginning (laughs) of the pandems, like first lockdown, when I was like adamant that like every day I got up and I did my workout and then I would like shower and I would put on an outfit, like a full. Yeah dress and like just a full look yeah to do my day yeah and I do feel like that kind of staved off a lot of the feelings that a lot of people I saw were having yeah you know yeah um but clothes have always been a place that I like go to to fake it till I make it or put on a costume or whatever and I think it's like I do encourage it like in people. I think it's important. It's like what that's the first thing people see when yeah. you're coming at them. Yeah. And you know, you really tell a lot about a person by yeah. what they choose to put on their body and yeah. like wear in public. Even if like you're not wearing any makeup or your hair's up in a messy thing, totally. like your outfit really does project a vibe, you know? Yeah. I had um a thing with Kirsten before before the break because, you know, the closet situation in New York is like not great for me. Right. And I had some ideas about how, but we do have a basement, but the basement is like filled with the boxes of Christmas decorations and Halloween decorations, which yeah. TBH like don't need to be accessible all year. No, we can put it in like storage. Yeah. I could get like a small storage space and mm-hmm. put all those boxes there. And then I would have like literally an entire basement. We could put racks and yeah, whatever. And so, but we've just been trying, but it takes a while to figure out like how to live. Do you Honestly, know what I mean? It takes a while and it also takes maintenance. Like mm-hmm. you, there needs to be like a reassessment all the time. All the time. Busy. The thing that you're going through, you're saying you're going through with your clothes right now is the same thing my family's going through with paper towels. You know what I mean? Like like we keep putting paper towels in the garage, which Mm. isn't as easily accessible as our pantry and laundry room. Yeah. But for some reason we have like a picnic hamper in one of the shelves of our pantry laundry room. And I know why, because it was a gift from someone nice who I love and I was very honored to receive it. It does not need, like that can get flip-flopped. Paper towels can come in the house. In the hundred percent. In in fact, we need to do that today. Eli, (laughs) are you listening? Eli, I have a job for you. Um, Okay, so, but Kirsten, before I left, I was like, I was just like in a tizzy because I couldn't access my clothes and downstairs, my clothes that are like in storage. Right. And like every, the conventional living in New York wisdom is that like you rotate your closet. Like, yeah. so they're like winter and banana mat. Right. But A, global warming. B, um, so like weather's weird. Yeah. You never fucking know. Like it could be like 75 yeah. one day in New York. And I'm like, oh, look at all of these cashmere sweaters. Like right. how do I get just like a cute top? Yeah. And then you just and go then nude because you can't get to Yeah. It. Topless. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I've been having issues like accessing the clothes. Plus also I travel so much and yeah. I come to LA and I need to, whatever. Yeah. You got to go back and forth. But it's been really impossible to get into like the clothes. Anyway, so I was saying something to Kirsten and she was like, 
I mean, do you need all those clothes? <laughs> and I swear to God, you guys, I literally, if you, if I had been a cartoon character, I think steam would have come out of my ears. <laughs> your I eye- just looked at her and I was eyeballs. like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am? Uh, the other night I wore a dress that I've had since I was 14. Yes, I need all of these clothes. Yes. I don't know when I'm going to wear them. I don't know what the occasion's going to be, but I know I have like an encyclopedic knowledge of my clothing. Sure. And I like remember things. It's like I am, I do have, it is, it my, it is cataloged in my brain, like sure. some sort of computer. Yeah. And I can like immediately if, if a situation arises, I was, that was also part of my frustration with the, um, you know, Katie telling me that I needed to wear something sparkly. I like immediately was like, I have 4,000 items. Right. But you couldn't get to any of them. No, cause they're in New York. Right. And it was a real bummer to me. Right. You know what you need to do? Mm. You need to meet, fall in love with, and marry the owner of a dry cleaner who's about to retire. And then you can have that whole pole system, the automatic pole system. I think you can get that installed in your house, I bet. <laughs> I bet you I could do it. I bet you I could. I bet you somebody, I, they do do that. For sure fucking JLo has that. Just like hit the button and like all of your clothes like rotate around like a carousel. Here's what I'm going to say. There are services that are incredible and $4 billion. Yeah. And they take your clothes and catalog them and dry clean them and press them and make sure they're ready to wear. And then like they have like take pictures of them and then they, you can decide what you need and you get, but like. That's a big investment. But it's, no, it's prohibitively expensive. Like you can't, you you have to be a billionaire in order to do that. And and I think if I were a billionaire, I still don't know if that would be the use of money that I would choose to. Right. Use my money for. There is a way. I, I actually, sh- I would never be a billionaire because it's <laughs> irresponsible. Right, because it's irresponsible, yeah. and we shouldn't have billionaires. No, there is a way. I think that a human could do it, but it like would require. Here's my idea. Here's what you would do: is that you would take a picture of everything, somehow caption it, whatever you want to use for your mm-hmm. captions. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. Save that to your camera roll. Mm-hmm. Caption it with what the item is and what bin it would go in. Mm. Save that to your camera roll. And then the text of your photos is searchable in your camera roll. And you could at least be like, this dress is in bin 14. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I can see already that that's like... I don't think that's going to work for me. (laughs) But here's the other good news. And I want to just say this. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I So I did some photo shoots for... Oh, because Mean Girls comes out. Yes. End of next week, guys. Do you have your tickets? Please go see it. See it twice. Why wouldn't you see it twice? So you had some photo shoots. I had some photo shoots and um, Tina Turnbow was the photographer. Yeah. And um, the woman who owns Cure Thrift um, was... Liz was generous enough to, because she's friends with Tina, she like um, offered her very cool apartment for us to shoot in. So we like, we were using her apartment, but she was there hanging out and she's rad. And she was like, we were chatting and she's like, 
you know, I listen to the podcast. Why don't you just do a sale with me? I have a separate space next to Cure Thrift oh, that's empty. I did a pop up with Amy Sedaris. She's like, just come sell your stuff there. And so I think we're going to like, I told her I would check in in January. Yeah. So I think like the end of this month in New York, I'm going to do like an actual sale. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. That's so a, great. A, a busy, a buy busy. <laughs> bye bye busy. Um, that's so exciting. Well, I was going to wear to the party. I decided against it because of like the coldness. It was going to be cold, but I was going to wear this Anna Sweet dress that was very sparkly that I got from my clothing swap. And I haven't had an occasion to wear it yet, but I think that would be so great. I, like I'm relating this to your to your sale that you're going to have with this person. Like it's such, I'm a huge fan. It's such a good way to refresh your own closet. It's a good way to pass along things that. Well, I'm like, but I can, I'm going to sell like a bunch of shit. I'm yeah. not just going to sell clothing. I'm going oh, to sell, sell it every, all. Sell everything. Sell it, baby. <laughs> I'm ready. Start fresh. I think that's so good. It's not even about starting fresh. It's just like Mark and I literally always had too much shit. Yes. Like always. Yeah. Like because when we got together and got married, we both had two houses full of shit. Right. Which is why stuff. at our surprise wedding, we said to people, take an end table. Please take <laughs> a mixer. No. But we did say to people like, please do not send gifts. Please, if you would like to make a donation in our names, we would be honored. Right. Feel no pressure. Right. And um, because I just was like, I can't, we don't yeah. need anything else yeah. in, in this, yeah. in our, in our big LA home. Right. Right. And then now most of it's just in storage. So <laughs> he and I agreed, we're going to go to the storage place. Yeah. We're going to like go through stuff. Oh, good. Pull a bunch of stuff to sell. Yeah. It's like also hard though, because yes, obviously we separated. So then the idea, so then you do have separate places. Yeah. So then it's like, well, wait, we do need two mixers. Yeah. You'll yeah. figure it out though. But we'll figure it out. As and, long as you're talking about it and like putting eyes on everything. But also what's insane is that like when we moved to New York before our stuff before we sold the house and right. before our stuff got there. Right. Like for instance, it was like getting to be Christmas or whatever in the house we were staying and didn't have a mixer. So I just had to buy another fucking mixer. Oh my god. Guys, there are so many. Oh, what I'm trying to tell you is so many mixers. At the buy busy sale, there's probably gonna be a mixer. They're pro probably <gasps> also FYI, you could have just borrowed my mixer. I would have loaned you a mixer. You, you're gonna ship it from Oh, I thought you meant when you were here in LA, you bought no, no, another. No, no, no. Oh, no okay. I didn't know. No. Okay. When oh, I was okay. here in LA, I bought the deep. I brought the you air fryer. The air fryer. But I bought that at the um, Bed Bath and Beyond going out of business sale. Right. So it was a real bargain. Right. And then bargain. Emily Beebe took it. She, I know. She told and me she, she loves that. She loved that air fryer. Wait, did I ever tell you about when, like, my wedding registry when Matt and I got married? No. Speaking of Bed Bath and Beyond, um, when Matt, R.I.P. When Matt and I got married. We had already been living together for like seven years. That's why we, that's what inspired us to like set a date because we were like, we're on the verge of becoming common law spouses. And it's pathetic that like we haven't even gotten married. So we set a date for our wedding and I, <laughs> I registered at Bed Bath & Beyond because 
Well, first of all, I was working for Rosie at the time and her manager's wife, um, her manager, Bernie Young, his wife, Carol, who I loved was like, girl, have you ever heard of Tiffany and company? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she was like, that's where your gift will be coming from. I'm not buying you a wedding gift to commemorate your marriage from Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> and Ma'am. I was, <laughs> Cause she was so fancy. It was so funny. And I was like, I really appreciate that. I just registered at Bed Bath and Beyond because like a lot of my family isn't fancy. And I, you know, I want them to be able to get me like a bath towel or whatever. But the thing is I registered at Bed Bath and Beyond for whatever amount of gifts. And then I went to like check on the registry or like add something to the registry and everything had been bought. And I was like, Oh my God, that's insane. Like I literally just registered and then it all came to my office because Rosie had bought it all. (laughs) She bought all the gifts on my registry from Bed Bath and Beyond and had them sent to the office, which I was like, that's so nice. And I didn't say anything. So then I registered for a bunch of other like small towels and stuff. And then she bought all that. (laughs) And then I had to finally go to her and be like, Rosie, I love you so much. This is so nice. Please stop buying what I'm, I'm just registering for things at Bed Bath & Beyond. So like my aunt has something to send me. Well, here's what I think. If anybody's listening and they decide that they need a registry for whatever, for your graduation, for a marriage, for whatever, I always say you got to go two places. You got to go high low. Yeah. You have to go a BBB, which doesn't exist anymore. Target. You got to go to Targs or Walmart or Costco. Yeah. And then, and then do like a, do a Tiffany or do like a, or do a (laughs) Cristobal or whatever. I don't even know what the fancy places are. I don't even know anymore. Yeah. Like whatever, like a fancy place or a Macy or like a, like a big department store that has like China, you know, whatever. I don't know. I will say that we got three gifts from Tiffany and company when we married. They were all... You're saying Tiffany and company. Tiffany this and is company. like how when I say hands-free headset, people make fun of me. <laughs> we got three gifts from Tiffany and one was a set of like really heavy crystal. It was They were all crystal gifts, which yes. I think is very sweet yes. and it's very commemorative, but you don't use them every day. Um, one was crystal like beer mugs, which I have to say the guys do use them. <sighs> That's kind of cool. One was something else that I can't even remember because we immediately put it away for safekeeping and it's probably in my pantry and probably Mm -hmm. should go in the garage. But the third thing was a crystal bowl, which I did kind of love. And I don't know, I can't remember who in my family was trying to move it from a cabinet and dropped it and it shattered into a million pieces which I felt bad about for one second. But can I also say that I was so glad that I saw the shattering of it because the way it shattered was so cool and amazing. It like immediately broke into these like square chunks that, I mean, I don't, I can't even describe it and trying to describe it, but it was like the smashing of it was very spectacular. And if I can't have the beautiful crystal bowl and I'm very sorry that it's gone, I was glad that I actually saw the smashing of it. Okay, I got one gift from <laughs> Tiffany and Company yeah. from somebody who did not listen to my request for, for no gifts. No gifts and instead a donation to a charity. <laughs> and it was like this gigantic weird crystal bowl thing. <laughs> yeah. That I was like I still to this day I think it's in storage. It's from Tiff it's from Tiffany yeah. and Company. <laughs> and to this day I'm like 
what is this? What is this for? What is it a punch bowl? Do I put fruit in it? And whose home does this belong in? Mm. It is a giant, it's like a crystal cut. Like, it's like, I've just, it really was confusing to me. Here's my two suggestions. I mean, it's going to go to the sale, maybe. (laughs) Maybe in the sale. Also, a bowl like that is lovely to put vintage Christmas ornaments in, ones that are too precious to go on your tree Uh because you can uh see through uh them uh and it like refracts everything. And then my third option is like smash it. Watch it smash. Oh, that seems insane. It's a once in a lifetime yeah, I, w- I wouldn't, don't intentionally smash your crystal bowl. I don't bowl. think I'm going to do that, but... But maybe sell it. But maybe sell it. Or maybe keep it. Maybe it's you now. Maybe you'll look at it in storage and be like, holy shit, I love this now. I didn't have any use for it before, but the me I am now loves it. Listen, listen, listen. You're right. You're right. I should, I should do that. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Or maybe it'll just end up in the sale. Yeah. Or maybe you're right. Maybe I'll find some like weird, funky things to put in it. Who knows? But it also just, it never, it was just never my vibe. Yeah. But, but I your don't know. vibe has probably changed some. <sighs> has it? I don't, I don't I know. Mean, probably. Yeah, a little, maybe. Mine a little. has changed tremendously since the time that I got married. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I was a child. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I was a child. I was a child. Oh, my god! I am no longer a child. Well, I'm excited for your sale. That's exciting. I know. And I'll Um, just have to figure out. I'm going to check in with you a lot on it to see, like, what your progress is. Well, I want to get through, I want to get through uh, the Mean Girls Press. Of course. In these next two weeks. I want to... Make sure I get all my work done. Get Barbie yeah. back to school. Yeah. Um. And I want to like get all that settled. And yeah. then Mark and I have to must go together to um to go through your storage to go through the storage. Yes, yeah. exactly. Ooh, you know what? Sometimes I am just like, what am I doing with my day? What am I doing with my life? And I'm starving and it's 5 p.m. And I need a little snack because my dinner is not till 8. And that's when I'm really grateful for the chomps in my purse <laughs> because I love that little meat stick. I love the flavors. I love the variety. And I love that Chomps makes snacking simple because their tasty meat sticks are packed with flavor, only the best real ingredients without any unhealthy additives, zero grams of sugar, low carb, keto-friendly, allergy-friendly. They don't contain any fillers. Chomps are simply made with all natural ingredients that you can feel great about. Guys, I highly recommend Chomps if you're like on a new kick for the new year. Get it because here's what derails you from eating well and like be like putting good things in your body when you get to the point where you're like too hungry and you can't do it. And that's why a Chomps in your bag, in your purse, 
in a backpack. It's going to be the thing that saves you. Right now, Chomps is offering our listeners 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash best. Go to chomps.com slash best to see all the delicious flavors and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. That's chomps, C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash best. Don't forget to use our link so they know that we sent you because we love them. Oh, it's a new year. I know that we're all really thinking about eating a little bit better. I know that we're thinking about wanting to do a little bit better. I know that I am, at least. I can speak for myself. Here's what I'm going to say. Hungry Root makes it easier for everybody, but especially for me, to eat healthy. Uh, Because they support... Whatever your, like, dietary goals are, restrictions, non-restrictions, whatever, if it's, like, gluten-free or vegan and vegetarian, I'm personally eating more plant-based, guys. That's my vibe right now for the the new year. Low-carb, some people like low-carb. Some people need low-carb. Casey's one of them. Dairy-free, I don't know. I don't know your lifestyle, but I know that Hungry Root can support it. And it saves money, it reduces food waste, it saves time, and you know how much I hate grocery shopping in New York. I hate it so much. We talked so much about grocery shopping on the podcast today. I find it to be, in New York, untenable. But that is why Hungry Root has been so easy for me to get fresh, high-quality food delivered to my door Healthy groceries, simple recipes, all in one place. High-quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, healthy snacks, sweets even. Sweets. It goes beyond your weekly grocery haul. Thousands of easy recipes that actually put your groceries to good use so that they don't get forgotten about and go bad because we're trying to eliminate food waste as well, guys. Important things to set this new year off right. So spend less time meal planning and shopping and cooking and more time enjoying healthy food that you're actually going to love with Hungry Root. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Busy Phillips is doing your best listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Come on. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash busy to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies That's HungryRoot.com slash busy. Don't forget to use our link so they know that we sent you. So um, I'm very excited about our guest today. Oh, there she is. There she is. Hi. Hi. Busy, how's your daughter? She's doing really well. We like have a great, we got her into a great doctor in New York and they have her on anti-seizure meds and she's had a so it's been at least three weeks now that she's been on the medication and so she has had uh like no bad side effects from it not good like has been responding really well to the medication and then she has to do the 48 hour EEG which is right she isn't she is really not looking forward to but her MRI was good because it showed that there's like no scarring in her brain and it showed that she doesn't have a tumor or any kind of mass or anything. So like, it's really just epilepsy, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, we're just mm. partial photo, partial photo something. I don't know. Okay. I should learn these things. I should learn so I can speak. <laughs> it's hard to remember. I mean, honestly, like all those neurological terms are really hard to remember, even if it's like your own kid. Yeah. I mean, which I, you know. Yes. Happen to. Also, yeah. also have gone through. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a lot. I really hope she continues to heal. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. It's a lot for her. She's doing great. And she's going to go back to school. She's going back to her boarding school in Sweden. Wow. Wow. And her doctor is on, like, thinks it's going to be totally fine. And like, we just have to trust. Yeah. We have to have faith. Yeah. <laughs> you I know? Really hope, I really hope she, she continues to heal. That's, yeah. And you've Aww. moved through it so gracefully. It's, it's pretty remarkable. But in the midst of all of this, Busy has been like, just working to help me with this launch in ways that are astonishing. I mean, I can't believe you've been holding all of this at the Aww, same time. So that's so you. nice. Well, I like to, you know, I like to help out, but I also, I feel strongly and I love the book. Okay, let's start. Yeah, let's introduce. into, yeah. but wait, actually, is Rabbi Sharon the only person who's ever been on our podcast twice? She is not the only person who's ever been on our podcast who twice. else? Twice. Who else? I believe Ashley Nicole Black has okay. been on two times. It's a very, it's a very small, small club, club that you're a member of, Rabbi Sharon. <laughs> the most intimate of clubs. It is the most intimate. I am so honored. A two-timers club. A two-timers club, but we're also, we're <laughs> so honored and so happy to have you here to talk about your book that is almost in the world. It's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. We're right on the cusp. What's the exact date that it's coming out so people can pre-order it? January 9th. January very 9th. Soon. Okay, yes. very soon. Very soon. And it's called The Amen Effect. Right. Ancient wisdom to mend our broken hearts and world. Um, feels a little bit like uh, timely. Very timely. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I wrote the book in a different world. I mean, I closed yeah. the manuscript over a year ago and um, I went to do the audio, the audio recording in November. And I was a little trepidatious because I hadn't really read the whole manuscript again since I closed it and not right. in full. And so I was a little worried. Maybe it just, it feels like it no longer matters. And as I was reading it in the sound booth, I realized, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't even know it at the time, but I was writing for this world, not the world that we came from. Mm. And so it's, it's kind of more timely now, both personally, Personally, and I think collectively than it even was um, in the way that I initially intended it. So I couldn't have planned the timing, but I, I feel like we desperately need these ideas front and center now. And they're they're very old ideas. So I don't know, I shouldn't have been surprised by it. These are, I mean, the whole idea of gleaning from ancient wisdom, some meaning for our time is that you know, these things have stood the test of time. These ideas um, that were written down 1800 or 2000 years ago, um, the, the reason that they've been preserved over time is because there's still something for them to say, even in the circumstances that we're living through now. I mean, well, I found it to be, Casey and I both have, in 2023, both experienced deep grief and loss. And in the book, you talk right in, in an early part of the book, you talk about this idea of when you go to, is it like the holy place and like you walk in one direction, but if you're grieving, you walk the opposite yes, yes. direction and everybody that passes you acknowledges your grief. And 
I've thought a lot about, oh no, I'm going to cry, but I've thought a lot about you and me continuing to do this podcast, like Mm -hmm. through the loss of your mother, through my best friend's cancer treatment and losing her and how Mm -hmm. we're, we've been walking the opposite direction. Yes. And I, how important it is for us to do, to allow others to be a witness to our mm-hmm. grief, yeah. but also for others to know that it's okay to have other people see you through those moments. It's the only way to get through. Yes. Yeah. First of all, I'm so sorry for both of your losses. And I also, my father also died um, just a couple months ago. And so oh, I'm ugh. also now a mourner this year. And so yeah. we're all in this mourner space um, together in some ways. I mean, the the reason that this particular ritual has been the heart of my of my rabbinate and my faith and, and really my, my experience with the world and building community is because it's such a profound psychological and spiritual insight. So the ritual, and it comes from a Mishnah, which is an ancient Jewish code of law codified around 220 CE, so really 1800 years ago. And it explains the ritual of the pilgrimage festival when people used to come up to Jerusalem and they would come from all around the land and they would ascend to Jerusalem and then ascend to the steps at, uh, on the Temple Mount. And they would go through this arch entryway and hundreds of thousands of people at once would turn to the right and circle around the perimeter of the courtyard. And then they would exit essentially the same place that they had entered with the exception, as you said, of somebody whose heart is broken. And that person would still enter, but they would turn to the left instead. And that means that they are passing hundreds of thousands of people and every person who passes them has to stop Mm. and ask this very simple phrase, Malach, what happened to you? Mm. And the person would answer saying, my heart is broken because my mother just died or my father just died or my best friend's in cancer treatment or I'm worried about my child. And then the the people who are okay that day would have to give a blessing and then go on their way. Mm. And the reason that the, the, the ritual struck me as so profound is because it's the, the, the insight in this is is really rude. And now we understand psychology. We understand the nature, what happens to people when they're in collective spaces. We understand how sorrow and grief often cause us to retreat from the world mm-hmm. when what we really need is to step into community instead of stepping away from it. And we also know how destabilizing our sorrow is to other people who might be doing fine in that moment. And the last thing in the world they want to do is look at somebody who's brokenhearted and engage mm-hmm. their pain because they're okay today. And yet the ritual says, actually, you can't retreat when you're hurting. You have to step closer. And you can't retreat from people who are hurting. You have to step closer. Mm -hmm. And so on both sides, both the mourner and the community, the rule is turn toward each other instead of turning away. And that feels to me like the most important message of our time. And I felt it. I said, you know, as I said to you when we started talking, I wrote the book for a different world. And I wrote it not as a mourner, and now I'm reading it as a mourner. I wrote it as a caregiver, really, as somebody who's my whole life entered the sacred, you know, entered every space and sort of turned to the right. And I'm always looking to think, you know, how can I help here? And in in what way can I offer my presence, my love, my support, my consolation? And then all of a sudden, you know, with my father's death, I'm the one who has hundreds of people coming into the house 
saying, tell me stories about your father and how can I help feed you and make sure that you're eating and all the things that we need done for us when we're grieving. And I do think that it's it's saying that the obligation, it rests on both sides, mm-hmm. that it takes a lot of courage when you're okay to confront someone else's sorrow and broken heart mm-hmm. because of how vulnerable it makes us feel. And it takes a lot of courage when we're hurting to be willing to show up and go on your, you know, do your podcast and speak about your grief and share your sorrow and and be willing to say out loud, my heart is broken right now because we, you also need to be held in those right. moments. And people are learning from the way that you're walking through sorrow and it's helping them get in touch with, with the, the way that they too can walk through those, those times of incredible pain and hardship. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that's so resonant in the book. I also feel, Sharon, like, well, first of all, I can't wait for the audio book because I, you know, I listen to your sermons and I find a lot of comfort from your sermons as so many of my friends yes. do. Um, whether or not you're Jewish or you have a religion in your life. Um, I know I've posted them before and I feel like, especially when you were a guest on our podcast the last time, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have checked out your sermons. But I do feel like what's so great about this book is that the way that I've been reading it over the last few weeks that I've had it is like picking it up and reading a chapter at a time and taking that Mm piece and that lesson and then putting it down and then coming back to it. And um, I'm curious if that was sort of a way that you were thinking about it or how you conceptualized what it was that you wanted to do when you decided to write a book. That's interesting. I mean, I've heard different things from the few people who've, who've read the book so far, the advanced readers. And I mean, I know one, I gave the book to one reader. I I handed it to her son and said, give this to your mother. And the son just started reading it and then basically (laughs) sat down on the couch for the next six hours, like throughout the entire night and read the whole book in one sitting. Wow. And he's a teenager. And he wrote me this beautiful, he said, I didn't give it to my mom. I read it myself first. (laughs) And, And he said it actually helped him understand grief and loss and love. And also he's Jewish and he said... He, it, he understood his relationship with Judaism in a way that he never had thought about it, it, any religion before in this way. So some people are encountering the book that way. And I think some people are also reading it in sort of snippets. And mm-hmm. so the, the book is designed around this big core idea that in this time of isolation, social alienation and loneliness, we must find our way to one another in sorrow in celebration and in solidarity. And that Mishnah that I that we were just talking about with this te- ancient temple ritual is really at the heart and comes up in every single chapter. And yet the chapters do sort of stand alone. I'm looking at all different aspects of the way that we give and receive love in the mm-hmm. hardest moments. Um, and they, they do stand alone. And so I envisioned it kind of as a it's a series of small sermons that make up a super sermon in a way. Yeah, yeah. And so it could be devoured as like just the way this, you know, teenager read it, or it could be read like, I need a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And I have some, a couple of my advanced readers were people who've gone through traumatic loss. And they said they immediately started with the chapter on grieve and live and which chapter five that they, they, they needed to go right to the heart of it. And, um, so I think it could be it could be engaged either way, and it could be engaged from either direction, either the caregiver side or the people who are hurting side. And the one thing 
that I was really careful to to pay attention to as I was writing was it uh, there's a trajectory there's an arc to the book from the most intimate personal both pain and also promise like what we can do with this feeling of helplessness that we so often have when we're experiencing right. loss or when people around us are so it moves from the very personal to the kind of collective and relational to the global and so the last chapter chapter 8 is really about how do we translate these these learnings about connection and community and solidarity to the, to a, a very broken society where we don't even know how to look at each other, listen to each other, engage one another, where we have no curiosity about one another anymore. And it's leading to so much pain and heartache. So can we apply the same lessons from the interpersonal and the personal to the really to the global? And it's my it's my sincerest belief that we can and that we must actually. And and this is really, I, I think I mentioned somewhere in the book that when I was in, oh, I had only a year and a half left of rabbinical school. It's a six-year program. And I had this theological crisis and I decided I was going to quit school and I was going to, you know, follow a different path. And I had to, you know, I wanted to do human rights work, global human rights work. And I ended up having this mentor who was like, no, you have to do both. You have to be a rabbi who cares about the world mm. because the marriage of these worlds is where your rabbinate will stand. And so I started doing this master's program for the last year. While I was in rabbinical school, I did a master's program at the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia. And what I found was so like just shocking to me. Everything I was learning in international conflict resolution mirrored what I was learning in my pastoral care classes. Mm. And so when we're learning about how to engage a couple that's struggling or how to help a parent with a child who's struggling, those lessons can then be applied to post-conflict regions where child soldiers are coming home after committing atrocities and need to be reintegrated into their families or where, where war, previously warring parties need to learn how to rebuild a society. It's the same principles. And so I believe that they can be applied in both the most local and personal way and also the most global ways because they're rooted in the same principles that that you know every single person has dignity and deserves to and needs to be seen and to be honored for their pain and for their for their triumph in the world and that we once we see each other we can collectively move toward healing. It makes so much sense to me Rabbi Sharon that you were saying that you wrote this book in a different world mm -hmm. and that you know not only did your personal world change but also the world at large change and you found your book to be so timely still because all of the things that you're talking about they seem so simple but they really are the key to everything and as you were saying like this epidemic of loneliness and alienation like i feel like alienation is always like the logical next step of of a type of loneliness so we're just starting to talk about this national and international epidemic of loneliness that we're facing right Even but then you also on top of it like you become overwhelmed by the grief of war being perpetrated sure, on sure. innocence and and, and that and atrocities like alienation of course yeah right but you and, also then feel i mean i know at least i have felt especially since october 7th yeah with, with everything you know with israel and gaza like yeah. totally helpless yeah like 
I, what can I do? Right. You know? Well, the opposite mm-hmm. of alienation, I guess, is humanization, which that sounds mm-hmm. to me like exactly what you're saying. Like yes. everything you're talking about is making everything more human and acknowledging our own humanity and the humanity of others. And so that's why I think it's it's such an important discussion to have is such an important resource for people to have. Oh, base. I love you so much, base. Really love my base. Actually, today when Casey came over to do the podcast, she was carrying her little base tote. Because, listen, we've all been there. You know, you try to fit everything that you think you might need for a trip in, only to end up with a suitcase bursting at the seams. Here's the deal. With base, there is room for everything. 15 pairs of underwear for a weekend trip. That sounds like me. This feels like an attack, a personal attack, but it's not because with base, it's not a problem. You don't have to decide between a couple pairs of shoes. You can bring all the shoes. Bring all the shoes. I'm just obsessed. Guys, it's the best luggage. It really is. They've thought of everything. Base knows what you want in a piece of luggage. 360 degree gliding, wheels, a cushioned handle, built-in weight indicator. Do you know how much that has saved my life? Washable bags for your dirty clothes. And all the interior pockets you need to keep organized. Base luggage comes in multiple sizes and colors for shorter trips, You know I'm obsessed with that Weekender bag. Also, I just use the Weekender bag as my carry-on. That's a fact. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash best. Go to basetravel.com slash best to get 15% off your first purchase. You're not going to regret it. That's B-E-I-S travel dot com slash best. My cats legitimately fight over our next sponsor, Smalls. You know, the truth of the matter is Gina gets a lot of love, a lot of attention, and we love our genie jeans. But I love those kitties. I really do. I love my cats. Rosie and Gildo are just my little buddies. And they're so sweet. If you're a listener of the pod, I think I've mentioned it before, my cats cannot live without their Smalls. Smalls cat food is a protein-packed recipe made with preservative-free ingredients that you'd find in your fridge. It's delivered right to my door, which I love. Honestly, I feel better knowing that my cats are eating real food and not like weird, bad, gross kibble. Smalls was started back in 2017 by a couple guys just making cat food at home, just cooking up some homemade cat food in small batches for their friends. And a few short years later, they're serving millions of meals to cats around the world, including my guys, Rosie and Gildo. Uh, After making the switch to Smalls, 90% of cat owners report overall health improvements. It's a big deal. The team at Smalls is so confident that your kitty is going to love their product, that you can try it risk-free, which is what I did, literally. And 
that they will refund you if your cat won't eat their food. And I know as a cat owner, can't believe Rosie and Gilda are like almost eight years old, that, you know, cats can be picky, but my cats are so obsessed with smalls. Uh, guys, it's 2024. Are you feeding your cat kibble still? No. Head to smalls.com slash best and use our promo code best at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's insane. It's the best offer you're going to find anywhere. But you have to use my code. Please use the code best for 50% off your first order. One last time. That's promo code best for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. I promise you, your kitties are going to love smalls. Robert Sharon, I did what I wanted to ask you about, um, obviously, like the ongoing war in Israel and Gaza, because you have spoken so beautifully in Temple and posted to Ikar's site. And um, what was the thing that you said? Like, let's not, like, our hearts are broken. Let's not lose our minds, too, or something like that. Do you remember? So you're let's like, not lose our damn minds. Let's not lose, let's not lose our damn minds. Um, but right. it's been it's been a, a period of time that is just overwhelming with grief for mm-hmm. so many. And um, when you talk about being a witness and that we must be a witness, I do find even for myself at times, especially in the last few months, feeling well, I actually am not prepared to be this much of a witness for this much grief and war and atrocity. And I'm curious uh, how you feel we all can continue to center humanity and be a witness and also be able to maintain some semblance of not having it overwhelm and destroy us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a really good question. I think when you're asking this, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering this quote that I think came from Michael Moore in 2016, where he said, he said, I'm reminded of middle school choir where we were learning how to hold one solid note for a really long time. And it's never one person who holds the note consistently, but one person starts and then the next, it overlaps with the next and then the next. So the first person can take a breath and it sounds like one continuous note, but actually it's a layering of voices. And, um, and so I, you know, I think about that a lot that no one of us can hold all of this all the time. It is too much. It's too much sorrow it's too much pain and there's a guilt that comes with stepping away from this from mm-hmm. the the depth of the sorrow but actually we need to step away from the depth of the sorrow to re, to regain our breath and to regain our own perspective and our humanity even the framework that guides my life is the framework of shabbat which comes from ver- the it's it's the first thing in the book of genesis that we're told six days a week do all of your work and on the seventh day take a break and rest and breathe. And the idea is if you don't step out of the world as it is and dream again about the world as it could be, mm. then you're just trampled by the reality of the world. And so I think there's something very healthy about creating either a rhythm in time like Shabbat 
or a rhythm in partnership with other people like Michael Morse talking about so that we know that it's okay to step out and breathe and then come back in um, because in in the flood of sorrow right now, you have to imagine that, so now imagine you enter that temple courtyard and you turn to the right with the masses of people, but instead of encountering one person who lost their parent and then another person who's worried about their kid and then a few minutes later another, instead you're encountering thousands of people who are mm. in pain. At some point you say, I'm just not going to the temple courtyard today. There's too much right. pain there. Right. And so we want people to not opt out of of giving a damn. <laughs> and the way to do that is to know and trust that there's a rhythm to your engagement and that you can take a break, take a break from social media, take a break from, you know, maybe from all news for one day a week. Mm. Um, my practice is I go offline entirely on Shabbat. So like literally nothing will make me open my phone on Shabbat. Um, and I've gone almost entirely off of social media because I just, it was too much agony and not, and not in a way that's an invitation to feel more deeply, but in a mm -hmm. way that I felt was shutting me off from feeling more deeply because right. it's, it's designed to agitate. And it's, and it, so it's, it's actually doing damage to our hearts, the way that we're encountering the news right now. And so the news and these perspectives. And so what I want to do is create spaces and seek out spaces where we can actually engage more quietly and more humanly and where we can say, tell me about where your heart is right now. Tell me about the pain that you're experiencing from the sense of helplessness that you have with regards to this conflict or any conflict. And so asking a question from a place of legitimate curiosity of an actual human is different from entering the battlefield of social media and saying, like, I really want to be sensitive and I want to learn more and I want to be in touch with the sorrow. But it's almost too much noise that it's it's forcing us to shut down our hearts entirely. And I think it's causing a real vicarious trauma right now. I mean, even for people who don't have immediate family members in Israel or in Gaza or in the West Bank, even for people who might have never been to the region, don't know much about, we're traumatized yes. by the news. And so from a place of trauma, it's very, it's very difficult to um, access curiosity and compassion and empathy from a place of trauma. So what we have to do is like protect ourselves a little bit and move away from the kind of battlefield of ideas into the into the space of just human encounter. Who can we talk to whose views are a little bit different from ours, who we can say, I can see that you're in a place of deep sorrow. Help me understand a little bit more what you're feeling right now and how I can be a, a support to you through this really difficult time. Mm -hmm. Not because you're trying to beat me down because your idea is more right than mine. Because I will say in this in this conflict, there are a lot of people who are really good, decent people who are on opposite sides of this divide. And that doesn't usually happen. I mean, often in the major conflicts of our, you know, in American politics or the major wars, you you know, you, you can sort of trust like, oh, all the good, you know, the good, righteous, justice-driven people who care about the world, we all see it the same way. And in this conflict, that's not true. So... So can we go to somebody who normally we see the world in similar ways, but in this conflict, we really are seeing it differently and say, let's have a cup of coffee. Can we talk about this? Because I'm heartbroken and you're heartbroken. And I don't want to convince you. I just want to understand you a little bit right. better. And I think when we move to those more personal encounters, we we step out of a kind of learned helplessness and into 
the the space of rehumanizing the other and ourselves. I think that's incredibly valuable, obviously, in regards to talking about what has happened in Israel and with Gaza and the West Bank in the last couple of months. But I'm also just thinking right now about the new year and that so many things that I've seen, people are like, well, good luck to you. 2024 is an election year. It's going to be a shit show. And I'm so, I, I, we started talking on the podcast this morning about this new year and about how I had brought a black dress to wear to the party I was going to. And my friend who was the host was like, absolutely not. You're not dressing like you're in mourning anymore, busy. Like I need you to enter the new year in sparkles, in color. I need for you like I'm get, and by the way, when I got to the party, there were lots of people mm-hmm. in like black dresses or whatever. And yeah. she was like, yeah, no, the dress code was just for you. And I was <laughs> for them, it's okay. For them, they yeah. can do whatever. But she's like, I needed you to enter. And I was like, that I actually really yeah. I loved it so much. And I took the I took the note and I thought about I really thought about it. And and I decided to choose to be optimistic heading into this year. And even in the fact that we're heading into this election cycle where there is, of course, Mm -hmm. this incredible divisiveness. And I feel like what you have just said is so valuable. And that's the piece in American politics and in community that is, is, it feels so irreparable in so many ways. And I don't know, how do we find the personal spaces? How do we do it? Rabbi Sharon said, like, I feel like just as you said it, like it became my word of 2024, rehumanization. Rehumanization. But, but, Mm. but Mm -hmm. Sharon, do you, (laughs) with the lack of like third spaces or, you know, where people, where people gather, how do we, how do we sit across from a person who's like, I don't even know, you know, who who's who's so adamant about who doesn't see us as a full human? See us as a full human. How do we sit across from those people? Where does that happen? How do we allow for the rehumanization of of ourselves and and also maybe for the others? How do we? How okay, do we do so. So I'm so glad that you wore sparkles to this party. And I love that host is a real friend because that is clearly what you needed. And so I want to, I'm going to answer this in a couple of different ways. First of all, I think that our work is to build third spaces, third way spaces that we are living in this time of false binaries. And we actually have to counter that by creating the spaces ourselves for the kinds of conversations that we want to be part of. Instead of like, this is the learned helplessness thing. Like, what can we do? Literally every space is toxic. Anything I do, it's going to, you know, it's going to turn sour. And instead investing in spaces where we can actually engage the way that we want to. So I feel like that, for me, that's really a priority, building those spaces ourselves, like deliberately inviting people to dinner who are going to have the kinds of conversations that we want to have mm-hmm. as a response to a world that's full of the kinds of conversations we don't want to have, right? I mean, not every panel needs to look like a panel on cable TV where everybody's screaming all at once. Like, that's right. a choice. They made a choice to create those spaces. Most of us stopped watching those shows, right? So how do we create the kinds of spaces where people aren't just shouting over each other, but are actually asking questions that's driven more by curiosity than by than by a kind of assertion that I know what's right and you're wrong and Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to convince you or 
you're shit, you're not worth my time. So I, so the first is creation of third way spaces. The second is I have been envisioning lately, like Venn diagram of human community. And we know that most people are, have a lot in common with each other. Mm -hmm. Like we want to put our kids to bed safely at night. We want to be able to dream of a better world. We want, you know, we want quiet. We want safety. We want stability. We want dignity. We want a just world. We want love. So, but I think when we engage these conversations, we often go not to the overlapping values in this Venn diagram, but we go out to the margins and we're like, but you said this and you wrote this and you posted this. And so we're trying to, you know, get another person who's standing on the margins for their most marginal ideas, instead of starting with, you know, tell me about your kids, tell me about your kids. And because I think that, I think that we're miss, we're missing each other. We're starting in the most aggressive, most difficult place to find one another, instead of starting where the overlapping values are mm. and building trust with each other and really building relationship and investing in those relationships. The other piece of this is what your friend so wisely, you know, pointed you to, which is, I actually think in times of real heartache and sorrow, we have to choose joy, mm. that joy won't naturally surface for us, but we have to choose joy. And that's what, that's what your friend was actually asking you to do. Like make a decision right now, busy, as you enter this new year, that joy is going to be at the forefront of your list of priorities. And so in the book, I write about these two stories that are kind of inverted versions of one another, two different responses to this catastrophic moment in, um, in ancient Jewish history, this moment of incredible loss and calamity. And one of the stories um, is that there's this, there's this big wedding where, um, well, actually I told the, the, the first story first, because I think chronologically the, the, they happen in this order, but after this catastrophic moment, people were just bereft and they were, they didn't want to drink. They didn't want to eat. They didn't want to gather. They didn't, they wanted to deny themselves joy because they just felt so crummy about all the horrific loss that had happened. And one of the rabbis was like, well, where do you draw the line? Like if you're not going to drink wine and you're not going to eat meat and you're not going to eat bread and you're like, you don't want to celebrate. So then why are you even living at all? Mm. Instead, he said, you like you have to live in this world, but always leave a little something out. Like wear your sparkly gown, but leave off one little bracelet that you would have worn in memory of your friend. Like mm. just because of my friend's death, I'm not whole. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a great night, but I'm going to remember there's an absence here. And so allow that absence to be present in your life, but not to be the defining course of your life. Mm. And then a couple hundred years passed, and there's another story where they're still relating to the same calamitous loss. It's essentially like a post-Holocaust reality for them in contemporary terms. And this time they're at a wedding and it's this big joyous occasion and everybody's like dancing and drinking and, you know, they're having the best time, but it's like too much. It's almost like they forgot that this calamity had occurred. And so one of the rabbis takes this very expensive glass and smashes it to the ground and everyone hears the sound of shattered glass and they stop dancing and he's like don't like don't lose yourselves in the joy because there's still loss in this world and don't ever forget it and i feel like these are two sides of the equation like don't lose yourself in the loss there's still so much joy in the world 
And don't lose yourselves in the joy because there's still so much human heartache and suffering and you can't disconnect from it totally. And so like, because that would make you, um, can we say, what, I don't know what the technical term for asshole is, but like, <laughs> you don't want to totally abandon human suffering and your human community. There's yeah. so much pain right now. So go out and party, but leave a little something. And like, don't forget that the pain is there, but also don't only live in the pain because there's also so much to be joyous about. And I, I share in this, um, there are these practices at the end of the book, these um, eight spiritual practices, one that correlates with each of the chapters. And in one of them, I talk about a practice that my friend Shifra created after the really terrible death of her beloved partner, Michael. And she realized that what made her fall in love with him was that he like, he lived so joyously in this world. He was always laughing and he loved music and he loved his friends. And then he died and it was such a terrible loss. And she didn't want to only grieve with like staying at home and weeping for a year. She wanted to honor his joy by being joyous. And so she literally she created this practice of 18 minutes of joy in which she would set a timer for 18 minutes and force herself to experience joy, even in through her broken heart. And she would do anything that would make her feel joy, like eat a chocolate cake or dance <laughs> alone in her apartment yeah. or like go for a walk in nature, like something that would pull her out of the grief and remind her that the world keeps going and there's still so much beauty and blessing in this world. And I feel like that's what your friend was doing for you that night saying like, there is still so much joy here, busy. And all the sadness and sorrow will persist and all the worry will persist in this world. But there's also a lot of beauty and we have to regain our perspective periodically. And it helps to have good friends who will kind of pull us back from the abyss and, and remind us of that. I love that Rabbi Sharon. What you're talking about right now, I just wanted to point out well, this is a weird thing to admit, but I wanted to point out how universal it is. The mm -hmm. weird thing for me to admit is that there's a thing in pop culture and it comes from black culture. And I think hip hop music is where I first noticed it when you see someone saying, we're going to pour one out for someone who's lost, you know, and it's such a phrase that it's almost kind of like a, it's almost like a little bit of a joke sometimes when it's done on a TV show or whatever. It's always made me emotional, which that's the weird thing to admit mm -hmm. is that I always get a little bit choked up even when someone's doing it like in a humorous way on a comedy television show, they say they're going to pour one out for someone who's not there. But I think it's the same idea, right? Is that you're sacrificing like a mouthful or a bottle full of joy when you're gathered together for like this person who's not there. It's a way to remember. So it always makes me like choked up even when I see it on a cartoon or whatever, <laughs> because it's a very sincere expression of, well, like the, the bitter and the sweet, like the, like you're, you're remembering the loss as you're about to celebrate, celebrate. Right. And it gives you permission to still celebrate. Right. Yes. Right. Because if you didn't pour one out or if you didn't, you know, break the glass, which by the way is, the, so that's the origin of the ritual at Jewish weddings, which now I, I think people do at lots of weddings, not yes. just Jewish ones where they break a glass at a wedding ceremony. And that's where it comes from. But the idea is like, 
<laughs> you might say there's so much pain in the world or there's even so much pain in my own family. There's so much pain in my community. How can I dance tonight at my at my wedding at this? You know, how can I experience the joy of this moment? And it's like you can and you must experience the joy of this moment. But don't do it with reckless abandon. Pour mm. one out first, like yeah, break a glass yeah. first. Allow Acknowledge yourself it. to be reconnected to the broader human struggle and then experience joy because we need we need the joy because there's no movement for social change that has ever happened without joy, without mm. dance, without music. Like we can't build a just and loving world if we and don't song, have joy. Without song. Without yeah. song, right. We Like we need those. That's the fuel for the spirit. And so- the spirit can't live only in sorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason, busy going back to how you started, that the people who are in grief, are they still go up to the Temple Mount. They still enter the same space because when we retreat, when we're in sorrow, we disconnect from the rest of the human community that's not in sorrow in that moment. Right. And because the, there's a cognitive dissonance between my loss and the world being just fine. There's, it's, it's very hard to, to step in, back into the world when we've experienced this loss, but we have to, because the fact is there's also, there are also babies being born and there's also new love. Of. And there's also someone just finished their dissertation and someone else passed the bar and someone else, you know, just like just got a some interest on someone on, you know, on like a dating app. And <laughs> right. like, there's all this new like newness and possibility and love and hope. And so so if we retreat fully, we deny ourselves that beautiful you know, mosaic of life. And so how do we create a kind of gentle re-entry for people who've experienced loss into spaces where you don't, where you're not going to pretend like you're okay, because you don't walk into that space and turn to the right, like everyone else, because that would be a lie. You're not okay. You're grieving, right? You're struggling, you're suffering. So you want to acknowledge that you're not okay, but also still have the benefit of being part of this collective of this, of this human community. And, you know, I write a lot about this in the book and we talk a lot about this um, in our community, but every single week when we come together for Shabbat services, there is loss in the room and there's new life in the room and new love and something to celebrate. And I think if we're really present if we if we are aware of one another in every space at every dinner party at every new year's party at every you know in every supermarket aisle there is love and there is loss mm. all the time there's sorrow and there's celebration all the time but we just have to expand our sense of one another so that we can see all of that because it helps remind us that we're part of this broader human community and there's a ritual that we do at the end of Shiva, which is the most intense days of mourning after the death of a loved one. When we really stay home for seven days, people take care of us. They make sure that we eat. They ask us to tell stories, you know, all the, the things that go on in a house of mourning. But at the end of seven days, we have to get up and we walk around the block. And that's like a gentle re-entry because we can't stay forever in the place of only grief. And so mm -hmm. go out and see that the world is still alive and that there's still vitality and vibrancy and meaning in the world. But don't ever forget the grief that you've experienced. So pour one out, break a glass, you know, leave a little patch of the 
of the paint in front of your house unpainted, it says. Mm. Like leave off one piece of jewelry, leave one delicacy out of your feast Mm. so that you're aware of the loss, but you're still feasting. You're still building a new home. You're Mm. still engaging in, you know, dancing and in in falling in love, but you're Mm. always aware of what's not there. God, I love that. It's beautiful. Uh. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> what a what a I'm I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. I'm sorry that you're you know having to sort of revisit this as like you said that you wrote this book as a as a caregiver and you reread it sort of as a cared for person. But I guess what I'm realizing is if we do it right, we will all be both of those things over the course of our yes. lives. Yes. Well, we must all be yes. both of those things. Yes. And also right. sometimes we have to right. do it at the same time. Yes. Right? You have That's had right. to continue I- to be a caregiver as well as someone in deep mourning, I imagine. Yeah, this was hard. I mean, I have to say, my father, Shiva, I really struggled. I mean, I, because it was so counterintuitive for me to be cared for. I kept jumping up. I mean, the, traditionally, the mourners are supposed to just literally stay still. Like, right, like just for people, people who are listening. Who are, yeah, I was going to say, for people who are listening who aren't Jewish and have never, or have never been to a Shiva, like a traditional Shiva, like, when you're mourning, you somebody else does everything. They bring you food. You don't even go and get your own food. They like will bring you food. They someone else right. answers the door. You don't get up to answer the front door if you're sitting shiva. Right, right. Um, like it's all taken care which of. For, it, it's sort of which is to take the burden off of the mourner. Like you don't need to think about food. We've got this for you. But it also forces the mourner to trust community. Like, I trust that somebody's going to think about dinner for me tonight. And what happens to your heart when you have a broken heart because of a loss, but all of a sudden there's all this love that comes around you and says, trust that you're going to be held with love through this loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a very powerful um, response to loss. And so, and in fact, that's why the book is called The Amen Effect or The Amen Effect, depending on what tradition you come mm-hmm. from. But um, it comes from the traditional mourner's prayer um, in, in the Jewish tradition is a prayer. It's, it's in, you know, ancient Aramaic. Um, and it's a prayer where the mourner basically stands up in community and says, the prayer begins, which means magnified and sanctified be God's name, which is a very kind of alienating theology for a lot of people. But then the community responds saying, Amen. And then the mourner says another line of ancient Aramaic and the community again says, amen. And then the mourner says another line and amen. And so what I realized over time pastoring to my community is that it's not actually about the theology or about the the poetry or the ancient biblical references. It's actually about placing a mourner or somebody with a broken heart in the context of community and having them stand up and say, my heart is broken, and having a community say, amen, and then having them say, I'm so scared. I don't even know how to, how to what the future will look like. And the community responds, amen. And then again and again, the community just says, amen, amen, amen. And what happens is it's doing this psychological work on the person who's broken, saying, we see you, we see you, we see you, and we're not running away from you. Like we're, you, we might be scared by your loss, 
but we're not going to abandon you. And what a powerful reminder of our humanity in the midst of a time where we feel so broken and lost and we don't know which way is north. And and this group of people is saying, we're right here. We got you. And I mean, this is like, this is another piece that I've learned over the years. Like we think when people we love are hurting, that our job is to pull them out of the pain. Right. right. It's not, Mm-mm. it's just to sit with them in the pain yes. until they're ready to come out and to just say, like, do you want, do you want me by your side right now? Because I, I'm willing to be here with you until you're ready to move. And so it's just a community saying to a person who's hurting, we're right here. We're not going anywhere. And so for me, going back now to like my father's Sheva, it, I mean, for me, it was very hard for me to receive that. I, because I'm so, my muscle memory is all about saying, amen, amen, amen. Mm-hmm. And then all these people showed up and they were like trying to say amen to my to my prayer. And I was like, oh, how'd your mother's surgery go? And, right. you know, I didn't follow up with you about, you know, that. And I literally, it required my husband and my my dearest friend, Melissa, literally saying, you need to sit down right now and let people come over to you and just say amen to you. And it's really counterintuitive, but I need it. I needed it because I'm always orienting one way and I needed someone, I needed people I love to say to me, the only reason that this sort of sacred paradigm works, that people go to the right while others go to the left is because we all know intuitively as much as we want to deny it, that one day we'll also go to the left. And when we do, we're going to be held by a community that's coming from the right. And so that knowledge, like when I'm hurting, I know that I'm going to need you is what gives me the strength to say, oh, somebody in the community is hurting and I'm busy and I have deadlines and I have work to do and it's hard to get a babysitter, but you know what? I'm going to go because I'm going to also need one day to get that kind of love. And so it's not a quid pro quo. It's about training my heart to what it means to be in sacred relationship. Mm -hmm. And I want people to feel that they're in sacred relationship with me also so that we can give this gift to one another in our time of greatest need. Mm. It's very interesting. We talked a little bit about it uh, recently, our friend's father also passed away. And uh, like, all I did was make a lasagna. I made a lasagna, you know, mm-hmm. um, which it wasn't hard at all. The amount of times that my friend's family has thanked me for the lasagna is so much more trouble than it was to make the lasagna <laughs> in the first place. But what I will say is that it was such a gift to me that they allowed me to do that for them because it just Mm. felt like I was doing something because nothing I could say or do was going to change the situation at all. But I, it felt like such a gift to me that when I said, can I at least make a lasagna? They said, sure. Sure. Bring a lasagna. No, I know what you're saying, but I also think that it's, you know, I was talking to my friend, Kate, who passed away. I was talking to her husband um, not long ago, and we were talking about how some people do do back away. They yeah. don't want they they. It is too hard for them to show up for whatever reason. They can't, and that the real the real trick, the real trick of being a person is being able to really show up for yeah. others when they're deeply when in their in their you know 
guys, we talk about memes all the time. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't handle me at my, <laughs> then you don't get me at my, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like that's in a community, in a group of people, like we have to be able to hold space for those that are hurting deeply. And also because when you are hurting deeply, I was just thinking of all the things I was grateful for in this past year. And it was, it's all the people that showed up for me in moments where I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm also very much a caretaker. Yeah. (laughs) Rabbi Sharon, Mm -hmm. you know, but like, I got it. I got it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But it's the people that are like, okay, but just in case you're not, here I am. Hmm, I'm going to sit right here and I'll just be right here. This is why your lasagna is not just a lasagna. It's it's actually love. Yeah. Your lasagna is a gesture of love in a moment when people need to know that they're loved and cared for. And um, it is, it's really hard to show up for someone when they're in pain. And there are a lot of good reasons why we don't. It's, as I said earlier, it's really destabilizing, especially traumatic loss, tragic loss. It makes us feel like, oh, that could happen to me. And that's real. I don't, I don't want to diminish that. I mean, that's real. Um, and that causes a lot of people to stay away. Also, a lot of people feel like, I don't know if I'm close enough to this person. Right, I don't want right. to be an imposition. I don't want, you know, I don't want it to be inappropriate. And so we have good reasons why we stay away, but none of them are good enough to actually stay away. <laughs> no, and no. I, you so tell I, a story, you tell a story in your book about your, one of your mentors ha- <laughs> so having a loss and you thinking to yourself, like, I wrote a note and I don't need to, sh- I'm, that's good. Cause they, that person, I'm not that close. Like I've, right, that right. person has a ton of people around them mm-hmm. and then they called you out so on it. Mad. He was so hurt by me. And I mean, I, and so it's my, my, my rabbi, Marcelo Brownstein, who's a beautiful, brilliant man. And his mother died and he, I, he was in New York and I was in LA and I wrote this lovely letter um, and, but I didn't call him. I mean, I didn't fly in and I didn't call him. And it, next time I saw him, he said, you really let me down. I really needed you. And you weren't there. And I was so hurt. And of course, immediately I was like defensive and upset. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why didn't you ask me if you need me? You know, and also, right. but I thought, oh my God, what a gift he just gave me. And I will never make that mistake again. I won't. And I have to say that during my own Shiva for my father, our friend Greg flew in from New York City and was on the ground for six hours to come to Shiva. He mm-hmm. he was like, I just needed to be with you guys. And I will never forget that for the rest of my life. Like, I mean, it was okay. Like it, not everyone can do that all the for time. Sure. I can't of course. go to every funeral and I can't go to every Shiva, but the gesture is so powerful because what he's saying is like, you mean something to me. And as I share in the book, my grandma's rule was like, you just show up for the Simcha. Like you show up for a jo- for the joy and because she always used to say, like, if you would go to the funeral, go to the go to the um, bar mitzvah, go to right. the wedding. If God forbid there was a horrible tragedy and your friend died instead of got married, you'd go. So right. go now. And then I realized, and that's such a good rule. And I realized I we can't even take for granted that we would show up for the funeral part. We have to show up for both. And so, um, so how do you orient your life around the rule, my grandma's rule, about just err on the side of presence and Sometimes someone will say, you know what, I have too many lasagnas in my fridge right now. Mm-hmm. I actually can't take any more. Right. And that's okay. So then you say, okay, I'll bring it over in a month when people have, when most people have started to, you know, not bring food anymore. 
I'll, I'll be there in a month. Or as my sister-in-law Paulette says, I mean, she's so good at this. Like I've really learned, I've learned this from her. She writes, she doesn't say, let me know if there's any way I can help. She writes, I'm in Trader Joe's. What do you want me to pick up for you? Yeah. Or she'll say, I picked up these three things for you and left them out front. And she doesn't yes. even knock on the door often because often when we're in that space, like we don't want to deal with another person who, mm-hmm. you know, who feels like they need to be present for us. Right. So giving people the space to, to step into the relationship when they want to, but erring on the side of showing up. And I have to say, I had, I, sh- I also share this little vignette in the book, I think in the spiritual practice section um, about an article I read that was very impactful years ago about an author who said her her father's role was go to the funeral. You just always go to the funeral. And so then her father died from cancer and it was terrible. And she said, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was like, it's like a weekday afternoon and she's in the front row of the church and she turns around and she sees a church full of people who just went to the funeral. And it just, for her, it was this transformative thing. And I, I've always thought about that as a pastor, you know, as a rabbi, and I've taught that. And then at my father's funeral, which was way the hell out in, you know, far away, Simi Valley, it was like 107 degrees out. I mean, it was a beast. And I could, I'm not, not cognizant of anything that happened during this service in the chapel. It was just like too overwhelming and emotional and we were exhausted and it had been this, incredibly beautiful, very hard last week, two weeks. And then I look at some point at the burial, um, you know, the family comes up first and we laid soil on the coffin and then the whole community lines up. And this is the way that Jewish burials work. Like everybody comes forward and places earth on the coffin. And I encourage people to do it with their own hands if they, you know, even better than using a shovel. Like it's just the most, it's the most powerful thing that we can give each other. This gift of literally burying each other's loved ones, burying each other with our bare hands. And so it was very hot out. And usually the family, the immediate family moves under this little tent that's like 20 or 30 feet away. But my mom, she just didn't want to move away from my father. Like she didn't want to, sorry. Like she didn't want to be away from him. And they, so she's like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And someone grabbed a chair and we set it up right next to the graveside for her. And someone was holding an umbrella over her the entire time to block the sun. But then all the kids and grandkids basically sat around the graveside for the duration of the burial. And as we did, I looked up and I saw this line of people, like literally hundreds of people who dragged themselves out to this like far valley in 107 degree heat. And they were burying my father with their bare hands. And I just, like, I could not believe that, like what it felt like to be the recipient of that kind of love. And in that moment, I didn't have the wherewithal to be, like, as I said, during Shiva, I'm like, what's going on with your family and how are you? But in that, that moment, I just, I was just like, I was s- collapsed on the ground, just overwhelmed by the love. And I feel like that's the, that is the sacred gift of your lasagna. Like that's what you did. You basically said like, I'm just, that's why they're writing you so many thank you notes and calling and and bringing it up again and again. And that's why I will never forget my friend, Greg flying in for the Shiva. Like it just matters that people are there to hold us in this moment when the whole we're upside down because of our, because our loved one is in it's in the ground and everything's wrong about the world except for this. Like there's still love in the world and we can actually give that gift to each other. Oh. 
And we have to. And we have to. And we have to find a way to do it every day. And I think what you said about your your sister-in-law is so important that like, yeah, sometimes people, they can't even begin to access what they would need or want. And right. it's not even, the thing isn't even important. It's- yeah. Oh, well, I was saying to, you know this, but my friend Robin, who in New York didn't even, it was right after Kate had passed away after Shiva, after her, her funeral or yeah, the funeral in Shiva. Yeah. Um, and my friend Robin, a couple weeks later, was like, hey, I booked um, a sauna and a cold plunge room at this place not far from you in the you know, in New York. Um, so it's at 1 p.m. tomorrow. Can you make it with me? You know, and I was like, oh, I can actually. That's great. Yeah, I'll see you there. Yeah. You know, and it's like that kind of showing up for people sometimes that we like that. That's the intuitive version Mm -hmm. of of like, hey, I'm at Trader Joe's. Can I get you cat cookies? Right. (laughs) You know, a, a a mourner in the community once told me the worst thing to say to somebody who um who's experiencing a loss is let me know how I can help. Right. Right. Help. Because, or like, I'm here if you need anything. I mean, we say this with the right intentions, but what it does is it places the burden on the mourner. Yes. Yes. Instead of saying like, hey, do you need someone to walk your dog this week? Because I'm going to be in the neighborhood, which is actually like it, it, it. And then what that signals is maybe I don't need someone to walk the dog, but I do actually need someone to pick something up from Trader Joe's. So right. could you, you know, I hope yes. Trader Joe's is sponsoring this episode, by the well, way, for all these shout outs. And Erewhon. We talked about Erewhon earlier. <laughs> We're going very, very grateful to Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah. yeah, no, it's incredible. Well, okay, Rabbi Sharon, we're not going to keep you for the entire day, although I could. I really could. We could do I could a talk pleasure to, the two of you to talk day. to you. Yeah, <laughs> we could do a four-hour podcast <laughs> on the Amen Effect um, I could be your first person to come three times. I that's mean, true. Yeah. We, could have, we could have another part. I, it seems likely. It, it does seem like it seems likely. I just was going to say to both of you, I mean, I really hope that your mother's memory is always a blessing to you, Casey, and, and that you feel her presence reverberating in this world um, for good for many years to come. And your friend, Kate, I... I hope that, and I know that she knew that how much you loved her, and I hope that you continue to feel her love um, in this world, really for decades and decades to come. And um, I feel like the more we talk about them and lift up and both the experience of being a mourner, but also who they were in the world and what they cared about, we're, we're helping to preserve their memory and to and to ensure that they they stay with us even many many years after their they're gone. So I really, I bless you that you continue to feel them both very, very deeply for the rest of your lives. Well, thank you so much. And also may your father's memory be a blessing. I know it is for you and everyone that loved him and knew him and also just loves and knows you in all different ways. Knows him through you. Knows him through you, um, which is the greatest gift that we give our children, that our parents give us, Yes, that our great-grandparents and our Great, great grandparents, our ancestors. Yeah. I think about that a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I always go back since I lost my mom and maybe this will help you too. I don't know. I go back to our friend, Julia Duffy, who's an actor, a wonderful actor, one of the funniest people, I think in the world, but she lost her son and she came on the podcast and she wasn't sure she was going to talk about it, but then she decided that she wanted to talk about it. 
in that moment. And I was so grateful for it because she said this one thing that I'll never, ever forget is that she is still his mother. She's being his mother in a different way. Mm-hmm. And mm. so that's what I've just been thinking about, like how we're being, you know, busy. You're being a friend to Kate in the same way. And then also how you and I are, we're still daughters. We're mm-hmm. just, we're being daughters in a, in a different way. And, uh, but we, we are still who we were and they are still here in the mm. ways that they are now here. Yeah. You know, it just reminds me of this, um, my, this, my friend, um, Brian McLaren, who's a wonderful pastor and write, uh, author, he wrote um, a new book that's coming out soon called Life After Doom about the climate crisis. And he, in it, he quotes Mary Oliver from one of her um, wild geese uh, poems. And she says something, she's talking about seeing, witnessing these beautiful birds and then they fly away. And she says, but it's okay because when I saw them, I saw them. Mm. And like, what does it mean to live to live and love so deeply now that even when they're gone, we're still we're still living with them and loving them because because when we saw them, we really saw them. And I think that's how their presence continue to reverberate and their spirits continue to reverberate in this place based on the like the depth of the encounter that we had with them when they were here. Oh, that's, that's true. So beautiful. And we're so we're so lucky, and we're so lucky to have you come yes. and, and speak mm. with us. Um, Thank and you. I'm, so, I'm and, so grateful. I love talking to you too. Yeah, we love having you. And also, listen, a great time for this book. Yeah. I have to say, mm. I really think it is divine timing, right? Like maybe even I know in moments has felt probably weird to have this book become coming into this world in this moment. Like I can't. I can't exactly imagine, but it is, it is so valuable and it is very much um, something that I feel really strongly that like we all can continue to go back to and remember and remember. Amen. I see it. Mm, I see you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. I so appreciate that. Thank Um, you. Okay. Rabbi Sharon, have a wonderful rest of your day and happy new year. Happy New Year. And I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. Wear (laughs) your sparkly dress, Busy. I I got it. I got my sparkles on. (laughs) This is going to be, there's going to be lots of joy this year and also some glass breaking. Do you know what I mean? Like, we'll remember the, we'll remember, we'll remember. I'm actually so excited. I'll just like, I'll tell you one more thing. We don't have to put this in my podcast. (laughs) But um, the premiere for, I'm in the Mean Girls musical movie. And it's actually, it's so tied to weird feelings for me because when I was filming it, um, that I was only on set for a week because I play the mom. So it's like, you know, about the kids, but I'm only on set for a week. And that week was the week that Birdie had her first seizure and I couldn't go back because I was out far away on location, but my Mark, Birdie's dad was there immediately and was with her. And it was the week that Kate was diagnosed with cancer. And so I have like this, it's like an incredible joy for me to like be able to do this movie and to be, have fun and to get this job. And then it was just tied. So it was so tied to these two things that have been incredibly painful and stress and, and upset, mm. you know, and yeah. 
loss for me in this last year. And so then I was thinking about the premiere and like, how am I going to feel about this moment? And Birdie's coming, even she's going to go back to boarding school late. So she's going to be there with me. And then I invited Kate's older son and his girlfriend to come into the city and go to the premiere with us. Cause I just thought like, I'm just going to like celebrate with him and his girlfriend and have let them have like a fun night at a fun thing. You know, they're 17 seniors in high school. And part of her will be there. And part of, and she'll be there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. I, I wanted to say our, our hearts are capacious enough to hold both of those truths, you know, both the, the incredible loss and this, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful what's happening, you know, with the film. And so I, I just, we can hold it. We can hold it all. I know I do. Um, I, I really, I'm really trying. <laughs> I'm going to do yeah, it. Yeah. Without, because also the thing is you don't want to disconnect, right? right? That's like what you're talking right. about. And like, I don't know that's if right. maybe on some level, that's why I was like, I would love to invite her son and his girlfriend to come. Is that like, I I don't want to disconnect from all of the things. Like I want to be able to continue right. to move forward and hold right. all true things, which is that this is the world we exist in and we have mm-hmm. to celebrate, but also remember. Yes. yes. Rabbi Amen. Sharon. Beautiful. We adore you. Thank you for oh, being on so our mutual. podcast. The book is out on the ninth. So yes, very soon. So pre-order it. It really makes a huge it difference. It makes a huge difference. I know that Rabbi Sharon won't say this because she's a very classy person, but I will say it makes a huge difference to the success of a book, it whether does. if you pre-order it or ask for it in your local independent bookstore mm. or at a chain store, if that's where you shop, it really makes a, a big difference a big deal for the author and the success of the book for you to buy it beforehand. And we're wishing so much success for you, but also just like really important message, especially going into this year with renewed optimism and hope and like, yes, we can do this. And energy. And energy. The energy of seeing others. Yes. Okay. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Be well. (laughs) Bye. 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 Oh, she's so great. Oh, Lumi, 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 Lumi. You guys, you've heard us talk about Lumi before. We love it so much. I love the Lumi products so much. You want to start the new year off fresh? You want your kids to start the new year off fresh? The whole house to be fresh for the new year? Lumi has got you covered. Lumi deodorant is the greatest of all time. Uh, The whole body deodorant was designed by an OBGYN to work not only on those pits, but also feet, privates, creases and crevices, the crevasses, that need a little bit of love and attention. Lumi has got you covered. It's a one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula, clinically proven to block odor all day long. Guys, Lumi is incredible, and I'm serious. Rub it on your kids' feet. When you have those kids that have the stinky feet, It's only a period of time that they go through it. If you're like a parent and you're currently in stinky feet time, just know 
it won't last forever, but also know that Lumi is your best friend. And it's a game changer. The whole body deodorant is a game changer for you and your family. You're going to thank me. You got to use code BEST at lumideodorant.com and you're going to get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with our exclusive code and link. It's a special offer for new customers. Just you guys listening. $5 off Lumi's starter pack with our exclusive code. Use BEST, code BEST at lumideodorant.com. L-U-M-E. D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com and use code BEST. Guys, that equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code BEST. We love you, Lumi. We love you so much. Um, the sandwich has landed. <laughs> the Erewhon sandwich has landed. Oh my gosh. I know you know this and I saw that you thanked Mark in like your year end, mm-hmm. you know, you said lots of nice things about lots of nice people. I love that you thanked Mark because I right now am just like, Every time I see you two and I see the way that like you're operating things or whatever, and I'm sure there have been plenty of people who are like, what are these two doing? Like they're oh, not so together. fucking annoying. But I just am like, I see- <laughs> I'm saying those people are annoying guys. Not, no, not me and Mark. I mean, but what I'm saying is like, annoying. if my parents had made that choice to like be able to call each other and ask, would you get me a sandwich or whatever? My life would have been so much less stressful and so much nicer. I just like, Huge props to you both for being like the kind of person that needs a sandwich and being the kind of person that is like, yes, I'll get you that sandwich. Here's the sandwich. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> She's actually going to get the sandwich at the door. The sandwich has been procured. Oh, the sandwich. Erwan. Okay, it's $15, guys. But oh, it is too wild for, for like a, a giant turkey bacon collared wrap sandwich. Sandwich. I don't think that's too avocado. bad. Avocado. Avocado is worth its price in gold. <laughs> I feel like avocado is so expensive these days. I always wonder why avocado isn't cheaper here in Los Angeles. Because they're just answering the, because they're just like inflation. If we can get it, we're going to charge it. That's right. The best place to shop always is a farmer's market, I have to say, for produce. It's the cheapest Probably. No, it for sure is. I don't know. Like I said, I never shop. So I don't. Right. That's true. You don't go to. That's my one real privilege that I can really brag about in life is that I really never have to shop. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) She looks very happy, everyone. Oh, I'm so excited. Delicious turkey mm-hmm. collard green wrap sandwich. Um, I, I won't eat on... Guys, I just needed one bite. Yeah, you need like a little bite. I need like a bite, guys. A little bite. While it's like the second it got here, you were mm. waiting for it. So and also you have to... Can we say you have to go get your hair colored? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you I know. I don't think it's a secret. We ain't got all day. You got to get some bites of that sandwich before getting your hair colored. I um should also get my hair colored too because like I noticed that the top of it is like some color that I don't even recognize, you know? Like my I don't ro- see it. What are you talking about? Like my roots are growing out, but they're like it like it's been so long since I've been bleaching my hair that like what is growing out is like a color that I don't remember having or recognize. It's like a soup color, a weird, like the color of a broth, a dark broth. Casey, I don't <laughs> even know what to say to that. That's insane. That's literally insane. <laughs> so I got to figure out some, some situation. A legit wild. A legit. A wild journey. <laughs> Have you had a nice time in Los Angeles? Oh, yeah. Yesterday was so beautiful. New Year's Day. Yeah. It was so beautiful out. Such a gorgeous day I spent here. most of the day like just sitting outside yeah. with BB and chatting. The kids were off with friends and on their own journeys. Which um, is so great. It is great. That it they were nice. able to they've do that having, to their friends. Yeah, they've been having a really nice time um, too with being here. And I got to say, you guys, I understand why lots of people love living in California. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The sunshine really makes a difference. It does make a difference. There was an earthquake, I think, yesterday. But Yesterday morning, I didn't feel it. I didn't notice it. I was already at the parade. I didn't notice it at all. The sunshine makes a difference. I also think like it makes a difference in just how you feel like, oh, it's sunny. Yes. But also I think it makes a difference socially. That's been my experience, Mm. just that people are less isolated maybe. Well, yeah, because you're out and about. You're out and about and you're doing things. But I would say, but even in New York, when when it's cold, but bright sun yeah it feels different yeah it makes a difference it makes a difference it makes and i do think like that vitamin d is necessary oh 100 yeah so i've been enjoying my time here and feeling like especially with like work stuff and things that i'm like looking forward to next in this new year yeah this year yeah, this, this year. year, 2024. Um, she's here. She's here. She's ready. <laughs> she's ready. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm going to be spending more time here, like back and forth, yeah. you know? So, and Mark is needed to be here a lot for work as well. Yeah. So it's a little complicated because of school stuff with the kids. But I think we might... I, I think I'm gonna look look to see if maybe there's like a small rental place I could get. Yeah. Just because staying in hotels is oppressive. It's a lot. Well, it's a lot. It's a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like you can kind of like rent a small place for the amount. Yeah. For the amount of money that I've spent in hotels in the last like yeah. couple months. Yeah. I could be like, that would be like four months rent, it feels like. Right. I don't know, because I haven't really done the math. <laughs> but that's what it feels like. She's going to crunch the noms and see. I am going to crunch the noms. I'm going to crunch some noms. And I'm going <laughs> to see. <laughs> Shut it. I'm going to have somebody else crunch the noms for me, because you know, crunching noms, not my it's strong, not strong suit. suit. It's not. I've been crunching noms so much lately. I, um, wait, did we, I think I, 
wrote on the sub stack about this, but I put my savings, I switched my savings from a regular savings account to a high yield savings account, which is like not, you know, it's not a lot of money that we're talking about here, but the joy that I got from seeing the interest deposited, like the high yield interest, as opposed to like the $6 that my bank account garnered all last year prior to moving it. I mean, listen, here's what I'm going to say. I don't think it's ever too late to learn how to crunch the nums and uh, whether you have someone do it for you or you do it for yourself. Like, I think that's, I think that's a really smart idea to take a look at it. And, you know, I love practicality and I love not spending more money than you need to spend. Well, it also would make some of my closet situation better because I could just ship a bunch of clothes here. True, true. And then I would have my West Coast closet, my East Coast closet. But the <laughs> truth is I don't wear like, a, there are, I have like held on to a lot of clothes that I really only do wear in, on the West Coast. Right. Because of just like the style. It's just, just reasons. Yeah. You're a different you on the East Coast than you are here. Well, the well the shoe the shoe game is totally different. I mean, yeah. thank I you know thank God for the incongruous sneaker look or whatever. Yeah, but like I can't wear I don't wear like really flat sandals in New York City, right? Because I I can't, you have, can't my have my feet, feet that, that close. close no, to the New no. York City, absolutely I not. I, absolutely not. I personally don't agree with anyone wearing sandals in New York City at any time. I'll wear a platform sandal. I will right. wear a platform sandal. And you're like a very skilled person, but he, if you've ever seen someone take a sandal off after a day being out in the city, it is vile. It's repulsive. It's repulsive. It's repulsive. I mostly just to be honest, mostly don't yeah. wear a sandal yeah. in New York just because it's like, no, I have my platform. I have like some platform sandals and that's yeah. about as far as I'll go. I don't want some pizza rat coming up oh, and biting my foot. My God, that's the, that's the last thing I need. No, I'm not, I'm yeah. not bringing that energy into this yeah. year. Um, but I, yeah, so I don't know. So I'm thinking about this, this coming year and all of the things that might be happening and, I am feeling, I am feeling optimistic. And even in thinking about like global and local political and our country's political landscape and all of those things, like there are going to be so much of this at this point, I feel like is, has been designed to spin us the fuck up. Yeah. And I do, I did just feel, and especially talking to Rabbi Sharon just now, that our job is to de-escalate. Because if they won't fucking do it, we have to do it. We all have to do it. We have to de-escalate. And it doesn't mean not showing up. And it doesn't mean not uh, making calls or speaking out for the things that you believe in and calling your reps, you know, to demand they take action or putting you know, your support and money behind politicians that align with your ideologies. It doesn't mean like ignoring. Right. You know, I'm always really disheartened when I encounter someone who is like, oh, I don't even pay attention. Right. That is such a bummer. It's a bummer. But I also have realized, especially this past 
year that you can, that one cannot be a full-time engager in all of the things that need to be fixed all of the time and like do you know what I mean yeah. and the grief of all of it because it is it is too much a for any for to to consistently hold right and b like you're going to encounter your own difficulties and your own loss and your own grief. And when those things happen, you really can't hold both. You right. really can't. Right. And and like I was not fully aware of it. Yeah. But well, you know. it, it makes me think of th- this has been a really big thing for me. And I hope that I'm not like mangling a metaphor or whatever. One thing that has been a big deal to me because of how I was raised is I don't believe in belaboring a point ever. Like if I say, you let me down, I'm disappointed in the way that you reacted to that. You know, you know, I already said it. I said it straight. And that's how it is. And however you choose to like deal with my feelings or not deal with my feelings. Okay. That's where we're, but I really don't believe in having a protracted conversation for four hours or four days or about how you let me down because you already got the point. There's no point to me in belaboring the point. And I kind of feel that way about, Well, all things in life, like sometimes when someone's like raging, not at me, but toward me about something that they're angry about, or they're very sad about something. um, And they're, you know, like, I often want to ask like, okay, so what, what are you doing about it? What are we doing about this? And if it's, if the answer is like nothing, I just want to continue to be angry or upset about it. Like, I'm not saying that's not valid. I'm just saying like, that's one choice. It's not something that I can like assist that person in. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I can't like help you continue to belabor your anger or your sadness or whatever. But if you tell me, if you tell me like, here's a thing that I want to do, and then I'm like, okay, I can join you in that. I can like help you with that or whatever. Like I'm very concrete and black and white in that way. But I think it does help me sometimes to just, you know, say like, what are we doing about that? And sometimes the answer is like, we're not doing anything about it. But checking out 100% and not being aware is never the answer, even though as like we just talked about, like sometimes it's what your instinct is to turn away. Um, But I think it's, it's really hard. We've all been trying to do the best we can, but we haven't had a great set of tools. No. And I was thinking a little bit about like two things that Rabbi Sharon said. Number one, these, these like false binaries that, that, have become sort of like a thing in recent time. Yeah, they're like little tests. It's like little tests. And it's not It's not actually the way the world works and right. it's not actually right. helpful. Right. Um, and we talk about on this podcast, you guys, and it's a thing that I continually have to challenge myself to do, yeah. which is like hold, 
hold multiple truths, hold multiple ideas that may even seem like they're in direct opposition to one another. Right. Because that is literally what being a person requires right. of us. Right. Always. Always right. has. But with social media and the advent of like the 24-hour news cycle and, um, you know, politically affiliated news organizations. Yes. And what we're being shown. And what we're being shown, that idea has slowly but surely been whittled down and away for so many people where they actually aren't able to see two things uh, or hold two things. Right. Um, And I I get it. Like, I do get it because so frequently it's hard for me, you know? What's been kind of... So eye-opening to me, and I'm so grateful for the people that are bringing it up, is like I'm seeing so many people that are like, I feel a certain way about this one thing and I'm either so angry or I'm so sad that I can't even like continue on with my day. I've seen that with a lot of my friends and like I'm not even specifying like which of those two. And then a person will come along and be like, well, do you know this whole other thing has been happening somewhere else in the world? And like, you can never compare, but it's like kind of equivalent to the thing that has you so sad. And like, did you even know that? And I know it. sometimes it probably feels like an attacking sort of like, you can't claim that you're so sad about this one thing when you were completely ignorant of this other thing that didn't affect you at all and didn't sadden you at all. I I get it that that it could probably feel like that and it might feel like that if someone pointed it out to you. But I just think that it's so important and it's really generous when people are like, just FYI, this is the way that I'm choosing to interpret it. Just FYI, this all of this pain that you are feeling, I see it and also I know what I'm talking about because this is the pain that I have been carrying. Right. And it didn't affect you, but we have that that kind of hurt in common. And so it is kind of generous to bring it up because you don't know how someone's going to react to that, you know, especially in not the best moment. But I'm really appreciating like the education that I'm getting from everyone who is like, just so you know, like this is my perspective and this is what I think of when I see. It's a lot. Everybody's like saying a lot and everybody has huge spots where we haven't been seeing everything, you know? I guess I sound like I'm talking in riddles. I know what I mean, but... No, I was... No, I'm... I'm I'm fully on board with your... your vibes. Yeah. It's... (laughs) With your vibes. No, I'm... I, I just feel like... Look... I think that the idea of what is it that we can do in this world, right? Like I've been thinking a lot about this because I, you know, obviously had said in December, like I'm not even sure if I want to continue doing this podcast. Yeah. And and I think like for both of us, I do think the showing up 
through this past year has been both a blessing and at times, I think, too fucking heavy for both of us. Yeah. And and I've worried about your healing. Yeah. More than my own, really. Um, <laughs> which I guess makes sense. <laughs> um, but at the same time, in talking about like how do we find connection in this world, in this increasingly sort of um, pulled apart, lonely, isolated existence that we're all kind of finding ourselves in. Where do we build those third spaces, those community spaces? And like we, when I think about the people who listen to this podcast, how beautiful that community is and how supportive and grateful and truly caring all of the people that listen to this podcast are. Yeah. Both like if you're like a person that's like, you know, on the Facebook group or Substack or whatever, or if you're just like a person that just listens to it and I don't know, like carries it with you in your own way, right? Like I just feel, I've just met people who like listen to the podcast who I know aren't involved like in the... They're not taking the three-pronged approach. Well, they're just like, yeah, they're not like secret Santa thing <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on the um, Facebook page. But, but they are like, thank you so much for, the, you know, this and that. Right. Or when you said this thing. And I feel like there is real value to these kinds of podcasts. I don't think it necessarily has to be us. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. I, I just don't. Yeah. Um, but I think that there is, I mean, you definitely, because you're, <laughs> it needs to be you. Um, but I do think that part of like one way of building out these third spaces can be these, these podcasts and conversations. But I do think that like remaining, this is the thing where, that I think that we do because we're women and also because we're us. The part that's so important is that we don't know everything. Right. And that we're not ever saying that we do. Right. And we, in fact, like sometimes don't even fucking know how to continue on. Right. But we're just going to, well, we sort of just keep showing up because we have to, you know? What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Um, that being said, guys, maybe start a book club. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in your own cities and states, maybe there's like some ways to like, we can all sort of start our own little, like a, like a, maybe you need a mom group. Sometimes mom groups are the best things yeah. because you really do get a cross section of like political beliefs, like ideas and things. And if you like get to know some other parents, you might be able to, to have those conversations. Like, yeah. In a way Rabbi that Sharon was talking yeah. about, in a way that could be really productive and helpful, 
you know? Yeah. And ask and genuinely curious. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I'll be honest, like a little bit of a reversal of where I have been at in the past. But I just feel like, well, listen, we're here. You know what I mean? And there just have... There have been times when I know that I have been talking to someone, whether they're in my family or a neighbor, who probably doesn't agree with the bumper stickers on my car. Mm. Coexist. <laughs> you know, I love that one. Um, it was as Emily Beebe told me. It was a it was a New York Times crossword answer <laughs> recently. But I will say that, you know, those are the, those, sometimes those are the folks that live right next door to you. And like, yeah. I just think like it is an idea that I know what you're saying. Cause like I, you, you know that I also have had the moments where I'm like, fuck them. I don't want to hear their sides. You don't exist to me. I don't give a fuck. Right. And I, I mean, it's hard because there are, you know, well, because you because, know, because also, because also, what it requires is two sides to be willing participants, right, right, in an in in an idea right. of connection, right, in an idea of greater understanding, right. And unfortunately, what has been my experience a lot with a side of well, because they're wrong. <laughs> right, right. So it's like there's nowhere to there's no way right. to be there's except no for to defensive and mean. Right. Like if you're actually like like you can't you actually can't defend right. denying rights and um and uh and like stripping away of right. dignity. Right. You can't defend that. Right. So the only way they can be, they they tend to be is like insulting and right. cruel. Right. Which is like, which aligns with the ideology. Right. But right. I guess if you were to cut through it, the question would be, but why? Right. Why do you feel like it is right. so important for you to, to see this, yes. to see that these rights are not yes. being had by others. To and f- sometimes the like when you get down to like the uh-huh. the nugget in the middle of it, it's like it's whatever. Like that, it's against my religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then you say like, well, those aren't my religious beliefs, and so we disagree. Right. But anyway, I'll still wave to you. I know. And that's, and that, that, that idea that she was saying that like Venn diagram idea, which I think is so true, which is that like we so frequently now are being pitted against one another by the like most outer ring of our belief system. Yeah. Or even like a couple ticks in closer to the, the overlap, but still outside yeah, not of the, the center, out, on not that, the center on the outside the of the crispy it. edges on the crispy edges, like that bacon and that wrap <laughs> from Erewhon. Mm. <sighs> um, and yeah, I guess starting on the interior feels like that's the that's the way to do it, you know? Yeah, but again. I do also feel like it requires the willingness of participation by both sides. Yeah. I guess the way, I guess, well, in the case of like, say a neighbor, the participation can maybe start with like the saying hello, 
you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. seeing each other mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. like worthy of saying hello to, and then, mm-hmm. and then get into it from there. It's a lot of fucking work. Not going to lie. Like anything, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of maintenance. And, and so I see why it's hard, but also I see why it's worthwhile to have those conversations, which is something that some people have said all along, like it's up to us to, to have these conversations when we can. So, yeah. But you have to go get your hair colored. Yeah, I gotta go get my hair done, guys. Is I that what you're ready? Is that what you're doing your best at? Getting your hair done? No, I think I really did my best at you did at at getting into this new year. And like, I woke up the next morning and wrote the post that I posted. If you saw it, I don't know how the algorithm works these days, guys. <laughs> but my New Year's Eve, New Year's Day post. It, because I woke up the next morning just thinking how grateful I was yeah. for, oh no, I'm going to cry, but just how grateful I was for you and for all of those people that were at that party yeah, and um, for all of my friends yeah, um, and the people that became friends with me this year who took me at my literal weirdest worst yeah, um, and were willing to be like, I can I can hold this shit yeah. for you. Sure, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. How can I help? Like, and not just how can I help? Like, just calling and checking in. Like, yeah. you know, I it's I, I you know, and my children, like my kids, and and yes, Mark, because I. This has been the worst, hardest year. I I think honestly, honestly, on record. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Hardest, worst, hardest. Yeah. And uh and Mark, you know, being so willing to continually like just in like in many ways into it, like what I might need making sure I was eating. Yeah. Like, ta- like really taking care of me. Yeah. I'm the mother of his fucking children. He knows you and he loves yes. you. We love each other. We know each other. And like, it's not been easy. And I know I will return it for him and in a moment that he needs it. Yeah. Um, and also for his understanding with like, sometimes I was just would take things out on him that were just not for him, you know? <laughs> That sucks. Right. And, and right. You know, that's complicated, but that's yeah. its own thing. But well, that's um, a thing that, you know, that's a thing to work on in 2024. Totally. Um, but so grateful for, for those things. So grateful for the work that I was able to have this year, even, in, sure. even, you know, among the, um, amidst the strikes. Yeah. Um, like so grateful that I got to do this movie that's coming out and grateful for, Girls Five Eva season three that's going to come out Coming in soon. March, and all three seasons will be on Netflix. And I'm like so excited about it. Yeah, and so grateful for this podcast. Yeah, too. Even in even even though like I have to hold both things. Yeah, that's which is it's a, hard. Sometimes it's hard, and also this past year, I sometimes have been concerned that it hasn't been the best thing for you and right. I to do. Right, 
like, because you know that like, is it Anne Lamont that's like, don't write about something if you haven't processed it, right? right. Like, and it feels like we were in real time processing so much that we were right. like talking about. And right. that's, but also the generosity of Kate and her husband and for like allowing me to share in the ways that I have shared right. what my experience with, with, with her being sick and, and passing away, you know, like that's, it's incredibly generous. Yeah. It's every, it's, it's every, literally, it's literally everything. everything. It's like the most you could give. And, um, and I, you know, and I like had had a couple moments last week, like leading up to the, the New Year's Eve where I was like looking through photos from the last year. I'm like, I found so many screenshotted fucking text <laughs> message exchanges yeah. with my ex-boyfriend. Oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> what a fucking shit show. What a shit show. That was a shit show. And... um. And it was just making me upset. And like, I was just like, fuck this. I don't, you, I don't want to even, I'm not even. Yeah. Like, like, cause I, you know, but then, okay. So I didn't do, you know, I, yeah. I didn't do anything and then took the note from Katie and we went to the party and we had a great time. My kids were there. I'm like, yeah. It was just fucking great. And woke up the next morning and was like, these are the things that got me through this year. Yeah. This is what, these are the things that I'm so grateful I have in abundance in my life. I have an abundance of love and art and beauty and like fucking amazing dresses to wear when I need them. <laughs> and um, and I have been so lucky to have an abundance of work even in, you know. Yeah. And like, even though some of my, I feel like I haven't been the most prolific creatively um, in terms of like my own generating of ideas and writing and um, like that kind of stuff, which is important yeah. to me. Yeah. Like the fact that I've been able to do pottery this year yeah. and do like art stuff. Right. And just all like, I'm just so, you know, I have so much to be yeah. so grateful for. And, uh, and I really felt it. Like yeah. it wasn't just like lip service, like um, fake it till you make it vibes. Like right. I literally woke up and was like, what an incredible thing that yeah. I've had yeah. this year. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think that's what I did my best at too, is that like this season, this week and this season, and my husband will get annoyed that I'm talking about this because he came in the middle of me having this conversation with our friend Laura and he was like, oh God, oh. But this week and this season has made me realize that like life is like a series of ski jumps, right? Like, or ski runs. I'm not a skier. I don't know skiing terminology. I don't know why you would choose skiing. skiing. You're just, you're you're doing it. But, but we're going it, for it. I think it makes sense, right? Because people who love skiing really love skiing. And like, you could be a great skier. One time out of a hundred times, you're going to wipe out. You're going to crash on the ski run. And that's the way that like life and holidays and years and seasons are like, sometimes you're going to have a run where you really fucking crash and hit every tree and every bump and it's spectacular and everyone sees it. 
But to be able to get up at the bottom and say, I would like to do that again. That's how I felt this year. Like I felt like it was a crazy, terrible year, but I really felt like at the bottom of it, I would like to do that again. Same. That's exactly right. Like, let me get one more chance at that. Let me get a hundred more chances. But all I know is that like right now, what I can ask for is like, I would like to get a chance to do that again. And, you know, that's that this is what made Matt crazy is that I said that I had such a nice holiday season that all I can think of is like, I hope that I get another one, Mm -hmm. you know, which is like, I'm not saying like, I won't, you know, that that's like a big fear, although it, you know, that's, that's real. Like you could, your friend had a holiday season and I don't think that she probably thought that she was not going to have another one at that time. did not. Right. And so we just don't know. So all I'm saying is that was so nice. I would like to get up from the bottom of it and get another chance to do it again. And well, I would say it was not so nice (laughs) and you would still like to get up and do it again. Yes. That's what I mean. I'd like to do it a hundred more times. You know, I'm getting to the point in my life where like I'm getting near to the age where people in my family weren't here anymore. And so I think it makes you see it more acutely and more keenly. Um, I'd like to do it a hundred more times. I probably won't get to do it a hundred more times. Mm -hmm. but I want to do it as many times as I can. And some of them are going to not be great. Yeah. They're not going to be my best work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But some of them are going to be great. Yeah. And so that's really what I want. I just want to get up and not literally ski. I never want to literally ski. I'm never going to literally ski either. You know I have those knees. There's no fucking way. (laughs) Ellers Danlos, I don't think it's for us. It's not not for us. us. It's not not for us. us. But the metaphor being like, I really want to get up to the top of the mountain and try and see if I can make it down. And sometimes you're going to crash. Sometimes it's going to be beautiful. Yeah going to be a thing to behold. And I don't know at the top of the hill, which it's going to be, but I want to get to the back of the top, back to the top of the hill and try again. Well, honey, we are on that ski lift (laughs) currently. We're, 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 we're about to jump off at the top because here we are. Here we go. And now we go. We're just, (laughs) and guys wishing you just only I don't even know what I was going to try to come up with some skiing well, terminology. I don't, we don't know. We're we just but wishing you, you go, some. Here you go too. Here, here we all go. Here we all go. We're ready. <laughs> We're strapped in. <laughs> We've got our helmets on. Thank and God. We'll see you at the bottom. And we'll see you. Well, we'll see you before that. Along the we'll way. We'll see you yeah. along the way. We're just going to see you along the way. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We love you so much. Thank you you for everything this year. Thank you. Seriously. We love you. Love you. Bye. Oh, no.